A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. After I've been on the first show and then I looked at the match online and stuff and then I saw that, oh, this walk culture beast has a couple of million subscribers. <laughs> Probably should have researched this before I went in. Also, I should have doubled my wages. Cultaholic Island, an actual visitor to Cultaholic Island today. Welcome in, HT Drake. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you, my dear Tom? I, I am doing lovely, thank you, mate. Good, good, good. Thanks for doing this. Like we go back years. I was remembering today the first time we met. Yes, I remember that. Do clearly, you remember it too? Clearly, we were at a, a show that shall not be named. Oh, we shall not be naming that show. Uh, it was particularly awful. Um, <laughs> Me and uh, Roxy had went uh, basically because we had a dead evening, and we we're like, "Oh, it's a couple of quid in. Let's have a let's have a cheeky look at this and see what happens." And lo and behold, in front of us, there's a very excitable man <laughs> on my own. I'd like to on point his own. out because for own. the same reason as you, I had a free evening, and Alex was away for the weekend. So I was just like, "There's some wrestling on in Shields. I'm going to go see it." Yeah. So I'd pop along to Shields, just down the road. I think you'd only been in the area a couple of months. Couple early. of months, if that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and oh, how did we start talking? Because you were behind me. As I, I say, very excited. I can't remember if I'd said something uh, to Roxy, and like you turn around and realise that like this person was talking the talkers, yeah, you know, or something like that. And then we just got nattering for ages. And I was, I was trying to basically say, listen, honestly. It's not all like this. <laughs> there is good wrestling, believe me. Um, Where uh, is that weird desire? Because, and and and, I'll, and I hope there's no ill will meant to people who may be watching who thought, oh, Tom came to our show. And it's not always the case. Why is there this weird little passion sometimes to go to a wrestling show that might be a bit crap? I have seen some of the funniest things at really bad wrestling shows. Mm. Um, I have seen a large gentleman take a double hip toss, but not flip in any way, shape, or form, but have both his arms behind his back. Oh, gosh. And hit the canvas like a penguin in <laughs> water and just kind of goes on his face. And it's one of the, the greatest things I've ever seen. And then he was fuming for the rest of the match. <laughs> Absolutely livid. Because you must see stuff that, that muggles like I don't see. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of little nuances and things like that, but that, that's all kind of forgivable. Um, because I, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, you have to do it properly or not at all, kind of thing. Mm. You want to be a weekend warrior, be a weekend warrior. It's yeah. fine. I understand, like, not everybody's going to make a living from this. Not everybody's going to be 
you know, a full time or even like a part time in terms of like it's half a year living or something like that. I don't expect that. If you want to wrestle once a month and have a laugh with it and make it fun, as long as you're safe, I'm easy. And but I can forgive like little bits and bobs and stuff like that. I I watch my matches back and I'm like, oh, what an idiot! I should have done this or I should have done that or I'm lazy there or I'm obviously just, you know, I'm not thinking about that. I do that all the time. Um, but I, some things are just so bad. They're brilliant. But, and there's a joy in, in watching something that we know yes. is a bit crap. Yes. It's like when you're... Okay, so recently uh, I was in, had a, had a night, and we were looking for a film to watch. And we saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not the series, the film. Oh, there was a film before the series. Was there? It is absolute dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's brilliant. Yes. Dog shit. If you if you if you fancy a laugh, it's about an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, believe me, it's not wasted. There's a whole company that do films like that. I want to say they're called Asylum, and they make films that are sort of. They look like Hollywood blockbusters. Like, it won't be Transformers, it'll be Transmorphers. Yes. And it looks and has a story that's akin to it, but it's really low budget, really low quality. But I am just in awe. Some, some of them are brilliant. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one, this one's on, on Disney+. Plus. So it's an official, it's not... A knockoff. It is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is licensed. And all oh, that so it's an official one. It's oh, licensed wow. a lot, and it roughly, vaguely follows the same story. You know, she's a high school cheerleader, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I like, discover she's the chosen one, the Slayer, and all that kind of stuff. And then is like taught, but it's just so bad. It's very early nineties, very cringe. Every other word is rad or wizard or something like that. <laughs> They're trying to just wizard. be a little bit too cool. And it's phenomenally shit. <sighs> Love it. And Disney Plus is actually loaded with stuff that's a bit shit now, oh, which is nice. Bit. Now we've had about a year or so of Disney Plus. They've started to bulk it out with the garbage. Some would say bloated, but it's it's, <laughs> it's bloated with some absolute gems. Bloated with gems. If you can't gems. find a good film, find a terrible film, and you'll still have a fun night. But we are here today to talk about good wrestling. Good wrestling. Well, wrestling that means something to you, because whilst we're going to be talking about all sorts of things today, you and I, Mr. Drake, uh, do I call you H? Do I call you Howard? No, I always call you Howard. Just call me Howard. We I know. call you Howard. We know each other for ages. Everybody knows my name's Howard. Everybody knows your secret, name. Yeah. I've been announced far too many times as Howard <laughs> for it to matter now. So while we're here, Howard, we want there's loads of to talk Because what's nice is that there'll be people who'll be listening and watching this today who will go, WCPW guy. Vicious rumor, but yes. Vicious rumor. And I know you've done interviews and stuff where you talk about it, but I kind of, we want to get into the weeds on other things as well as that today. But we'll get into all of that. That's fine. Um, But we want to pick three wrestling matches while we're here for you to watch while Mm -hmm. stranded on a metaphorical desert island. Now, you can take Buffy with you as well if you wish. That's fine. But Uh, one viewing was enough. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go through your three matches uh, over the course of our chat today. Uh, What would you like your first match to be for your island? So my first match just represents what I really like in wrestling, the kind of wrestling that I like or what I like to do. Mm. And it's RVD versus Jerry Lynn, ECW, Living Dangerously, 1999. Now they have had some... Absolute bangers. Now, the thing is, you can pick pretty much any one of their matches, and they are absolute bangers. They have unbelievable chemistry. And it's it was kind of a, a pioneer of a style, which maybe pioneer's not quite right, but it was the first introduction to it where it's real counter-wrestling. They both know each other so well. 
that they'll go for a move that the crowd have seen 20 times, but they actually have a counter for it, which then turns into another counter. They do a fish out of um, water spot, which is the pin into one pin into another pin to another pin. That's phenomenal and goes on for so long that the ref gets tired. It's brilliant. And it's just one of the times where an actual time limit draw worked. They, mm. didn't, they didn't tell the crowd about it. They didn't do anything. 20 minutes has happened of absolute blistering action, back and forth wrestling. Jerry Lynn was kind of the underdog going into this. And by the end of it, the crowd are all over them. They want him. And uh, it actually works to the point of this 20-minute time limit goes. The ref's going to award the belt to Jerry Lynn, even though RVD's a champion. But Jerry Lynn was so close to beating him towards the end. I don't know if there was a particular <laughs> different set of rules in ECW with that, mm. as it was like ref's decision or something. But even Jerry Lynn's like, no, 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 I want to win it properly. I want five more minutes. The crowd wants five more minutes. RVD wants five more minutes. They have the five more minutes. You see the the van the van dominator, which comes from a nice little switch with the with a chair and stuff like that, and RVD wins it. But like massive props to Jerry Lynn, he's he's over as hell after that. Mm. When he's going into it, he wasn't that hot. And it's just one of those things where it was just an unbelievable match, and it's the kind of wrestling I like. And if you ever watched me wrestle, you might have noticed that I do a lot of RVD's shit. I was going to ask you what in particular from that match do you borrow on the regular? Uh. So I don't directly steal anything, but there's a couple of things that are quite similar. So RVD does a big dive and thrust kick off the top. I do a springboard spinning heel kick almost every match. Uh, RVD does the van terminator, which most people will call a coast to coast. He sits them down on the bottom, puts a bin or a chair on them, goes from the opposite corner, climbs the ropes and does a, a long drop kick. I do where I put them on the top rope, so they're hanging over. As, as they feed up and they're like, they kind of go, oh, me, me crotch, like that, the head's out, and I do a springboard drop kick. Similar but different. It's called tine crossing. The tine crossing, apparently. Do you know, do you know, do you know how I know that? Because you made that Because I named it. <laughs> I never name any of my shit. <laughs> Tom has named caught, all of my moves. Basically, I kind of, I feel like through our friendship, I've been given carte blanche to go, I'll make up a name for this. Yeah, I have a, I have a submission called, the the only ones I did make up the name for was the, the Pangel of the North. And it's <laughs> a particularly awful name. <laughs> I like Pangel of the North as a it's, name. It's, it's, it's stuck. It's a fun <laughs> little one. Um, RVD was an early influence for you in mm. wrestling, but it was, it was actually, you weren't, in, into it until high school because I know your friends were ones that got you into it through the yeah. power of Sky Television. Yeah, so I was um, I, I was one of those households I didn't really have Sky and stuff like that and I, I knew of wrestling and I definitely knew of it because I remember even when I was uh, quite small like five or six that one of my friends had a wrestling ring with the figures and stuff like that and I would play around with them but I didn't have any wrestling figures I didn't watch it on TV you know, my era is very much late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I got into it. So we're talking teenage years for me. Um, and yeah, it was it was mainly I didn't really get into it until I went to high school. I saw some friends who had it. Like, they'd give me tapes and stuff like that. And one of my friends was, he was one of these people who was a big wrestling nerd. And he had all of your, your ROHs, your Noahs, your, your ECW tapes. And that's the wrestling I got into. And then I got into WWE. Right. So, so you so you discovered what wrestling was, and then you went to the nerd for the good shit. So I knew of wrestling, <laughs> and I, my, my, I was talking to my friend about it, and like 
and he said, oh, this, that, and the other was cool. And I basically watched this and gave me, I, f- I can't remember what it was. It was probably mm. ECW because that was who he was mad on because we were too young to watch it. We were naughty. Ah, and it was, it may have possibly been Living Dangerously 1999. Who cares? <laughs> and it was phenomenal. And I was like, give me more. Right. Give me the good shit. <laughs> what was uh, what was Howard into before wrestling? Um, I, I was big in Transformers when I was a kid. Nice. I, liked, I liked a bit of Transformers. Um, I think I had G.I. Joe's and stuff like that. Uh, I played a lot of really nerdy Japanese video games. I had a lot of Final Fantasies and Breath of Fires and Sukuri Odon and stuff like that. Is that which is which out of those three was the the definitive one for you? Oh, Final Fantasy has saved me forever. But I think yeah. probably the best, one of the best um, RPGs I've ever played was uh, Breath of Fire Three. Nice. Which is quite a random one. So what would that have been? PlayStation. PlayStation original. So is Breath of Fire. Is it the one that has sort of the snare style graphics? So yeah, it was still pixel art. Yes. Then. Um, it, I think it was there was there was SNES era games. So there was a Fire Two was I'm pretty sure it was a SNES one. Um, but what what I really liked about it was it had dragons in, which is again something I was into as a kid. Um, and it was just the system where it had this gene system where you could you'd find different genes for the dragon. You can mix three of them to make hundreds of combinations of how you would transform. And that was, there was loads of secrets in that and the way it was set up, the story. So the story goes from when you're literally a child. So you have like a kid version of yourself. Big nasty stuff happens and you end up with an adult version of yourself. And a lot of the characters that you interacted with have both kid and adult versions and stuff. And it's it's a very long story in it. So how much of your free time would you have spent playing games like Breath of Fire? I would, well, I, I had friends and I went out. I even, I even played football a lot and stuff like that. But it was what was weird is I'd play football a lot couldn't stand watching it. <laughs> Absolutely couldn't stand watching it. Um, is that because is that because we're primarily in Newcastle United, lot of beer and it's yeah, sometimes so, difficult to watch. Yeah, the last time I gave a, a, a crap about Newcastle United was when Kevin Keegan was in charge, <laughs> and I mean the first time, not not the second time. I mean the first time with the I would love it if we beat them kind mm. of rant era. <laughs> That's that's the last time I gave a crap, and I just I couldn't stand watching it. I don't know. I have just got you, bored. Have you changed since then, or are you still? I'm not bothered by it. Just not. I literally could not name two <laughs> Newcastle players. <laughs> I, li- I and that's weird because obviously you know you played it a lot at school, but then up, yeah, up played, here I in the north for the school and everything. You played for the school. Yeah, what, what 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 I position? Was a, I was a winger. I nice. Was swift and could cross. So what was what did your school make of you then? Were there plans for you? Obviously, you're playing for the school. What was the school, by the way? Uh, St. Mary's. St. Mary's. So it, it, it was very unorganized on football. Okay. Uh, we really, there wasn't anywhere to go. So it wasn't like a league or anything that you were in where you were There was a couple of games. Uh, I remember doing a, a lot more in primary school. And oh. then in high school, I, I did it, played, played for the, the school for a bit. And then I think I just sacked it off mm. and decided to stop. Definitely not doing... Wrestling, <laughs> my, best, my spare time. You definitely weren't doing backyard no, wrestling. No, no, there's definitely not videos of me doing things with ladders and pacing tables and dash shit like that. Okay, so so let's 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 pretend none of that happened. Obviously, who, who weren't the kids that you were hanging out with, jumping off ladders in your garden? Definitely wasn't Brian. Definitely wasn't Will. Definitely wasn't Barry. There was mm-hmm. never this kid called Smith. Um, just just none of that happened. We definitely didn't do fights in the dark with a night vision camera where we beat the crap out of each <laughs> other. Um, we definitely did not set pacing tables on fire and throw each other through them. Jeez. Uh, 
we were ECW kids. Obvs. <laughs> um And we, yeah, we definitely didn't do any of that. And me and Bright definitely weren't a mildly knockoff version of the Hardy Boys called the Coash Boys. <laughs> At no point did any of that happen, and you definitely should not do that at home or somebody else's home or a backyard and or back alley. I was going to, because this is the thing, because I because I, I know you've mentioned in previous interviews where like you just kind of go, didn't do that, and then you move on. Obviously, you know, you're running Northern Grafter now, which we're going to yeah. talk on further. Is there like, do you feel like there's a bit of a duty for you to, to kind of push past that and not reference that? No, because... In the sense that people get the wrong idea. Every wrestler ever who is a wrestling fan has grabbed their brother and or sister and given them a suplex or something like that. Everybody has. If you haven't, you've done it to the dog. If you haven't, you've done it to somebody else's dog. You've done something. Mm. I I get it, especially especially if you're a company like like WWE. You have to say, listen, don't do this because there's there's been incidents where people have got hurt and they they basically need to try and alleviate any blame. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's yes, you should 100% do it somewhere where you can get taught properly and there is a safety element and stuff like that. Because what what I have seen um, is there's people coming in who have obviously messed around with their friends, have obviously done this or whatever, and some things they can do all right. And in other things, you've got to get really bad habits out of them that are dangerous. So they're picking people up incorrectly for things because they haven't looked at the move properly and stuff like that. Um, and it's just safety features and stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of little nuances in how you pick people up, like particularly for a scoop slam or something like that. There's certain hand placements and stuff like that that make the move much safer. And it's fine when you know you've, you're in training and you're not dead sway and you're wearing you know a t-shirt and tr- and joggers or something like that. The second somebody's in pants, the sweaty is out and they may have baby oiled up. It's like, you know, trying to pick up a greased pig. <laughs> so you've got to pick them up correctly. Otherwise, you pick them up, they, fall, they drop out of one hand, you've got them in the other hand, and the head hits the floor. We saw that in action. Uh, you did a video for our sister channel, uh, yes. Triple Jump. Vicious Rumor uh, as well. Vicious Rumor. Uh, we, and uh, there's a bit where you're teaching them how to take and receive a suplex. Yes. And then again, you watch it, and it's everything you talked about there. It's the hands in certain places. It's the arms in certain places. It's the movement, and it's and then so all of that was taught. But then, as you say, it can go wrong. Yeah. The like the time where Ashton uh, yes. gave you a brain buster. Yeah. So <laughs> she 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 gave up about a third into that move. Just <laughs> <laughs> fine. But the thing is, it, it, people go, "Oh, that was horrible." It was completely fine. Like, yeah, I, I, I was fully aware that there was a fair chance that he was going to bail on that move. There was a big, massive, foot-thick lump <laughs> of foam between me and the floor. And if you look at it, I brace because I see it coming, and I brace, and I take it on my arm instead of the head. Yeah. Um, and I, that's that's literally, she she could have done it, but she, she lifted, and she'll even admit herself, she just bailed and went, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just <laughs> sat down. Now... To be fair, it looks like a pretty cool brain buster. Which is a phenomenal brain buster. Fine like, by me. It looks who, pretty who nasty. Who knew that Ashton Matthews taught on the King's Road? <laughs> she, she just skipped the first couple of months in training and went straight to the deadly stuff. Um, but no, it was fine. And stuff like that happens in training. That's mm. why we have the big mats. And that's why I would, if if I believe they can, I'll take the first ones because I know how to protect myself. I know how to do whatever. But say if I if I had a full class there, and I had somebody who was very small, but was an advanced trainee, and I knew that they knew how to take the move and be be safe. I would have got her to do it on the smallest person first, because mm. she would have been more confident. Because obviously she sees me; I'm obviously considerably bigger than her. 
And she's like, oh, crap, there's no way I'm going to be able to get her over. But Pete, who was probably smaller than Aston, could. Yeah. And it was just a little bit of confidence of, oh, I can do this. So if she came back, 100%, she will be able to suplex me. There you go. Because or she can brain bust me properly. <laughs> <laughs> I will teach that as well. I actually but, uh, thought, just one more thing on that video, like out of, out of three there, you know, they all threw themselves into it. I thought Peter Austin was kind of grabbing it. Pete, Pete went for it. Um, yeah. There was because he was running the ropes and the suplex and stuff. He yeah. Like, like, I feel like he got it. Yeah. Well, obviously the whole video is a is a laugh. Obviously. Like obviously. When, when they're struggling with weights this big, it's fairly obvious that they're not really struggling. It's a work, brother. It's a vicious rumor, <laughs> there are, which I've said several times already. Vicious rumor, it may have been a work. It's a work, brother. Um, it was a work a shooting vicious, in the end. vicious rumor, I'd like to think I'm not actually a bellend as well. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. If you were a bellend, you wouldn't be here. Well, I could be. I'd just be I'm I mean, knocking we'll, things over. Hey, worth sticking around for just in case. Um, uh, so... You're not deathmatch wrestling in your in your back garden. You're not doing that. I have never done never. that in my garden, anybody else's garden. Nope. I definitely didn't when my parents went on a holiday, steal every mattress in the house, put them in the living room, and just had a massive barn. <laughs> That's fine then, because I was we definitely didn't play a game called Cannonball Z where we jump off this um, bookcase. And you'd have to get progressively further away with your swanton until the point that you couldn't meet and you just absolutely murder someone. So how far did you get from your swanton playing Cannibal Z? Uh, my swanton was about a mattress and a half. Ooh, get you. Which is not bad. I mean, I was lighter then, considerably Was lighter. it a case of going, of that, that final one that you hit, going, I don't want to try anymore? Or was it, you I'll give it, it a go? You murdered the person. Right. What it was, <laughs> the person on the floor would get progressively further away and you'd have to clear them. Um, and... My friend Brian, he was a bit, I've mentioned him a few times, he's, uh, he's not a larger gentleman, he's a very thick gentleman. He's, he's thick. one of these people who got like thighs like this, just naturally. Mm. And he's just a, he's just a heavyset, very strong guy. And when he landed on you, my Lord, did, did, even with a mattress and a pillow on top of you, if you were lucky, you, you felt that. <laughs> um, and then we've got Will, who is a very tall, very slender, <laughs> giraffe-like person, because his neck's literally like that long, it's ridiculous. He wasn't so bad if he landed on you. And then Barry, who's similar to Bri, but a bit smaller, but just he just landed on you on purpose because he was a bellend. Like <laughs> no, he's a bellend. Um, was there ever an instant when you your folks came back and realised what you'd been up to? Oh, I've been rumbled many a time. Oh, right. <laughs> what was the giveaway? Was it like, all oh, the mattresses back on properly? Or why is this vase broken? Well, we once... Oh, this, is, this is a confession. We once smashed a window. Ooh! We once, it fights in the dark, we smashed... The, the front window um, but to, we've actually got away with it until this day because I'm going to admit now we actually got away with it because my parents were out um, we'd smashed the window I think it was Barry had put Will's arse through the window <laughs> um, and Will's a very bony gentleman so it just absolutely shattered this window <laughs> so we ran up the high street bought a football scuffed it up scooped the glass up, put some of the glass on the inside instead of the outside, and then had this football, which wasn't ours. We purposely got one that was very much not ours and said that it'd come through the window. That's in that, Do you know what? Ingenuity there. Oh, that was like, we've got 20 minutes. We need to, we need to figure something out. Wow. So like, two, of us, two of us sorted all the glass. Two of us went up the high street with whatever money we could scrabble together to get the hardest but cheapest football we could find That's and then pretend that it'd come in through the garden. That's commitment to the bit, that is. And we got away with it. 
Yeah? So what? today. <laughs> Although well, I thought my mum and dad are going to watch did, this. Did anybody take the heat for it? No. No, no they, they just went, parents, oh, just bloody kids. Like, oh, bloody kids. Oh. oh. It's like we were in, we were just... We were just playing No Mercy and the flipping football came in, <laughs> honest. <laughs> well, that's now out there in the world, so I hope maybe you've atoned a little bit today for doing that. Oh, hopefully, yes. That, that is, I, I was going to take that to the grave, but it's quite funny. Had it not been wrestling, what would it have been? So before, I'd probably be an engineer. I would, however, be a very miserable man. Yeah? Yeah, I was, I was an engineer for seven or eight years before I went full-time wrestling. What led you down that path? Good at maths. Maths, yeah, yeah. It was, so my, da- my dad, my dad's an engineer, um, and there were certain aspects of it. Like I, I don't mind like doing technical drawings, and um, I do like, you know, I don't mind building stuff and things like that. But I went and did engineering at university. I was a design engineer. I I got a job, uh, but I kept on bouncing between companies. I think that was partially because I just got bored of being in the same place. I started bouncing between companies. I kind of settled one place. I ended up being the head of the department, which, you know, I was important. I had a, I had staff and everything. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the best job I'd had uh, because that was an actual, we design stuff, then we build it, then we test it, then we do stuff. And it was all stuff that was kind of useful. It was, it was for um, a company that did a lot of stuff for, like, Royal Mail, UK Mail, and basically they, they were actually part owned by, by Royal Mail. Um, and we did like lots of like parcel sorting or like transport things or cages or s- like the trolleys that they push around and you see in the street. Um, oh, a little bit of trivia. If you see a red letterbox on the street uh, that isn't made out of cast iron, I've partially designed that. And you also, because basically the cast iron ones are so freaking heavy, if a car hits them, you just murder the car and the person. Right. Um, whereas these ones are designed to flex and bend and they're far easier to replace parts of because if a cast one goes, it shatters, it, it's ruined, it's absolutely ruined. Whereas the stainless steel ones that we produce to look like the old ones because, you know, it, the look of them is quite important. It's, you know, it's quite a heritage type thing. The newer ones um, are all made out of like folded steel and stuff like that um, to look like the old ones, but it's very easy to replace parts of. So, so, and so, you so, partially so, designed that. Uh, so me and me and a couple of us designed that. I I did a lot of the bits and bobs for that. Same with the little, the smaller ones that you often find in, on like a little post or that are set into the walls. They're all now um, not cast iron because uh, the carbon footprint of cast iron is horrible. Whereas stainless steel is a lot nicer, um, and it's just a lot easier to replace parts of and stuff like that. But you say, I mean, you, it sounds so so intriguing, like the fact that you're able to to come up with something that is kind of. Revolutionized seems like a strong word, but like yeah, change something so fundamental. Yeah, it's just it, it's just one of those things. So, so post boxes are the way that they are. have been around for hundreds of years. Like it, there's a lot of collectors for them because they they are really nice items and stuff like that. Even my my mum and dad have a have a small one in their house. Um, but yeah, you, you get collectors of the old, like especially if it's like a King George one that's like really old. They're tens of thousands for like a good one, and people collect them. So. That was another thing. People wanted to nick the old ones because they were worth so much. Because they're worth so much. Yeah. So, so what people would do is, they would they'd set up the cones around them, put on a yellow jacket, make it look like they're a workman who are refurbishing it. And they're not. They're stealing it. But they're they're freaking a ton and a half or something. Cause the old ones are so heavy. There's almost with something like that. You almost like it's wrong because theft is wrong. But it's like you almost want to applaud them. Well, so that's it, like a that's a hell of a job to steal something oh, that heavy. So to install them, it's like it's a couple of men in a small crane. 
they, there's a couple of blokes in a van trying to like lug it out with flipping pry bars and bits of steel and just kind of lug it out and then manhandle it into the back of a van and worry about cleaning up later. That's it's incredible. Like, it's like when people steal ATMs, there's a hell of a lot of effort goes into that. But I, yeah. ingenuity, it's wrong as hell, but yeah, ingenuity. So what, you said like, had you gone into engineering, you'd have been miserable. Yeah, so so my thing is I, I couldn't be, I couldn't live being stuck behind a computer mm. doing documents. Because I, I changed job to um, like a subsea oil and gas company, where it was like oil and gas hookups and stuff like that. And all I did was sit behind a computer doing documents, being sick of my life. Right. But it was it was also so engineering. It's it's like a lot of um, industries. It starts out as oh yeah, it's thirty seven and a half hours a week. It's not thirty seven and a half hours a week. You contracted for thirty seven and a half hours a week. They expect sixty. But it's one of those where like a lot of people end up living the job, and I, I just uh, that was not for me in the slightest. That's it. It's if you love the job, if you live and breathe the job, then it's fine. You don't mind doing the extra yeah. and going the extra mile. But yeah. if it's a job that you're not enjoying yes. and they expect it, yeah. So for us, and I go the extra mile all the time and have no qualms with it because I actually and the people mm. I work with and all that kind of stuff and I, stuff like this, I, I love all this kind of stuff. Because um, you're change, like you're one of like the, the the busiest people in the northeast and the, yeah. on the wrestling circuit around here. Because of all the stuff that yeah, you know, you found so many different facets into wrestling. Yeah. So um, so when I when I first went full time with wrestling, one of the things that kind of got me, and this is probably my engineering brain as well into it. A lot of the rings were absolutely awful. Mm. Um, to the point of you just wouldn't want to bump on them. They were so hard, or the ropes were terrible, or there's, like it was some of them. You know, there's flipping bolts sticking out of places. Like if you fall on that, that's a flipping garrot you, and you have know, guts <laughs> coming out. So I did, I took a couple of designs that I'd seen of wrestling rings, cobbled them together into my own design, improved a lot of stuff in them because I was like, right, this needs to be better. That needs to go there. This needs to do that. Why does why they're using rock hard springs, or why they're using a dead soft spring that then looks like it's a flipping waterbed? So I then designed a, a wrestling ring, and uh, the first ring that I've made is still used to this day, and is largely considered one of the best ones in the country. So, there's a lot of places that that book you all around the country yeah. for the wrestling rings that you make. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll be the first to admit that if I didn't have that wrestling ring and I hadn't made it as good as it is, I probably wouldn't have a lot of the bookings that I do have. So, because that's kind of how a lot of what you do works and and I, and and I say like there's no disrespect to to AC Drake the wrestler because you're one of the fucking best quite simply and I'd say that if you weren't here yes um but you're also aware that hang on there's there's lots of wrestlers on this on the yeah. market what can I do different here, I tell you what buy a ring get a wrestler <laughs> yes well the thing thing with that is um also a lot of the the ring hires would come and the wrestler that had the ring wasn't necessarily very good Mm. So I would come along and say, listen, you know, you get a very, very good ring and also you'll get a competent worker with it kind of thing. And it basically, like, let's be honest, wrestling wages just for wrestling isn't that great. That's why most people have another job, have another thing, whatever. My kind of um, mentality on it was if I'm going to a show, that's my day done. Mm. So if I'm going to be there two hours earlier and an hour later, I might as well get four times a wage. Yeah. I've and still one whole day. On a few occasions I've been with you, we've we've travelled around but I'm not the road, brother. Yep. Uh, and uh, there's been occasions where I've helped with the ring and taken part of the ring and, and I always learn a little something 
from you whenever we do it. And there's one little bit of thing that's a little bit of knowledge that stayed with me. And it's from a show that you and I did in, I want to say 2018. Okay. And it's a tiny little bit of thing. It was something you told me about tables. And I really, I was like, that's why and I thought of that. And, I, and obviously, if I start telling the story and I'm kind of showing too much of how the sausage is made. Possibly. Please stop me and we go, can, go we can remove it. Go for it. And you said that you supply tables. Yes, I make purposely certain strength tables. And yes, so they um, they do what they do. <laughs> you don't have a Matthew Botch. You, do not, you do not want I am the table. Want, <laughs> Nobody needs I am the you table. Want, I am the... But after a, after a show one time, you were looking for the bolts. Yes. And I was like, why are you bothered? And you went, well, that's the bit that's the, the key part, the legs and the bolts. Yeah. I can replace the wood, and I just use the legs. And I was like, that never even crossed my mind. I just thought you went, more tables. Yeah, so... And I just, it sounds so silly to, to, to a, a, a non-person like me, but I remember you said that, and I, for some reason that lived in my head, and I went... Yeah. Oh yeah, that's quite clever. That. Yeah, so if you think of if you think of what a folding table is, it has to be a folding table. You can't have non-folding tables. No, they have just, to fold. You need the whole slidey in and then flip the table over. You need all that. That's part of the that's part of the bit. So if you think of it, the complicated and expensive bit is the legs. Mm. So use the legs again because yeah. if if there's only so much you can charge for something that's going to get used for you know. 30 seconds in a match. Mm. It might get set up and forgot about and then come back later. But generally, people aren't willing to pay several hundreds of pounds for something that's going to get used once. We're given that a set of legs is about 90 quid. You need to get a couple of uses out of them. Yeah. Because otherwise the table's far too expensive. Whereas the wood, the stuff on top, that's considerably cheaper. You just replace that. You just, yeah, just reuse the legs, reuse or whatever. Which is why when people like, put the legs against stuff and you end up crunching the legs, I am. <laughs> you know, like, if you want to upset Howard, that's how you do it. You just bump through the legs, and you and I will have a problem. <laughs> um, but there's, these are things that, that you're not necessarily taught when you're getting into that line of work. Yeah, it's it's something I was never taught. I just basically, uh, I'll be totally honest, where I came from. Uh, so, what culture were buying packs mm. of three tables that were proper tables that you would use, you know, catering or whatever, and then we'd have to do certain things to allow them to break because they were far too strong. And then they just throw them away. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I was, and I was, I was chucking them away at one point and I went, I'm having them legs. Because the legs are perfectly <laughs> fine, I'm having them legs. And then I took the legs. I ended up with about eight sets of legs, which have slowly been killed, so I had to buy more. Anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, I, I got my legs for free because what culture were just throwing them away. I want to talk, we'll talk about the what culture stuff and, and among other things, we've, we've sort of jumped around a little bit there, but just that, it, the table thing just stayed in my brain and I wanted just yeah. to point that out. Yeah, no, are, you, are you hot, by the way? I'm going to pop the I am, I am always warm. You're always warm, aren't I you? I am always Leave a, that bit, bit, in a bit George, fun. a bit of George and Andy, as would say, <laughs> a bit warm. There you go. Let us, um, let's talk about your second match. All right, so we, match. we've got Rob Van Damme and Jerry Lynn. Uh, from Living Dangerously. What's that your second one to be? So my second match is a very predictable. This is my childhood. Um, is the TLC from Mania 17. Nice. And this is just what would what teenage Howard H.T. Drake would be tripping balls at. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> tripping balls at this match. It's just action start to finish. Loads of tables, loads of chairs, loads of mad stuff. Three of my favorite teams, you know, Edge and Christian. You've got the Hardys, which... 
Coast boys were definitely not re- remotely associated <laughs> with. And you've got the Dudleys being them damn Dudleys. And it's just the epitome of overbooking, but it works. You've got all the shenanigans. You've got everything, uh, like, you know, shit hitting the fan everywhere. Then you've got a little Spike Dudley gets involved. Mm. The Edge and Christian have frickin' Rhino come down and flipping gore somebody through a table. And then Lita comes down, and she's involved as well. So you've got the core teams, then you've got the extras, then you've got all the mad stuff. And uh, it's just ridiculous. It's brilliant. <laughs> a lot of the TLCs are brilliant. Um, and this, I think, was the second one, maybe. This like this is where I'll reveal my wrestling knowledge is pathetically bad. <laughs> it is awful. I have no idea who won King of the Ring at any year. I bet you do. I'm awful. You can ask me. You, we've done a... We've done a um, like a question show, like a quiz show before, and I'm sure I was terrible. I was terrible at my own wrestling. I didn't even know who I won certain <laughs> belts off in my own career. I am awful at it. But I got I got my own question wrong on one of them. Did you? Yeah. Which one was that? Um, was that Question of North? Ye- it was no. Question of North, wasn't it? Possibly. Yeah. I, so the, the question quiz show was, we used to do at the start of North Wrestling. Yeah. The question was who I won the calling spots title off and, was, <laughs> and it was the first ever calling spots champion was me and i couldn't remember who i won the title off it was kirby it was martin kirby, it was martin in the kirby. End. but i only found that out after i got the question wrong i imagine we do so many they all just blurs into one big sort yeah of globule of wrestling yeah I, I, I do see a lot of wrestling can you remember where you were though when you watched that trc match for the first time um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we actually watched it at Bryce, at my friend Bryce, because oh. he, he would have. So his his mum was pretty good with like having to stay over and like watch the pit views late and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and like he had the channels and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm pretty sure we we put in a little bit of money each or something like that and ended up watching it at his. That's a fun night though when it's all oh, with it was, mates until one of them like yeah, one, one of the morning. Things, like, well, that's the thing. Like his, his mum was was sound. She was great, and she would like get us in flipping, you know, pizza or chicken or something or whatever. Would sit eating with pizza and watching Mania. Ah, oh, that's the dream. Brilliant. That is. Where were you at? So at this point, was this was this whilst you were you know getting the mattresses out and your folks were away, or were you so, a bit further along at this point? Uh, there, was, there was a lot of crossover. Mm. Um, so I I started wrestling training really quite early. We found this random wrestling school uh, that was running out of like. Uh, little community centre. It was uh, IWF. Uh, back in the day, there was two in Newcastle. It was IWF and WZW. But it was one of those horrible, rubbishy things where if you went to one, you weren't allowed to go to the other and stuff like that. And that's still something that's quite prominent. Yeah, it it's, like. it's 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 old mentality that I hate. I absolutely hate that. So, yeah. So anybody who does go to Northern Grafter, you're allowed to go wherever the hell you want. <laughs> go wherever you like. <laughs> and by all means, do it. Because, you know, if you want more ring time, if you want to learn... Like, I'm not too arrogant to think that I'm, you know, going to teach you everything you're ever going to want to learn in wrestling, but I can give you a good start and I can certainly give you a good foothold. But if you want to go and train somewhere else and get some ring time or, you you know, there's somebody you want to go and do seminars with or you want to wrestle somewhere or whatever, do it. Yeah. You're like, you don't owe me a contract. You don't owe me nothing. So Why do you think that, where is that mindset from? I think it was very much just protecting your own kind of thing. Yeah. Like, because like trainees and money was always a bit scarce in wrestling. So once you had a group of trainees, it was kind of like, oh, we don't want them, you know, to see if the grass is greener elsewhere kind of thing. We just want to keep them to yourselves. And it was definitely to the detriment. Um, it was definitely de- detrimental to me because I didn't end up going and training elsewhere for a long time. And it kind of meant like the first 
five or six years whilst I was wrestling was pretty much wasted. Why was it wasted? Just because of, did you, was this so the school the, the, that you chose? Uh, there was some good things about the school. It was definitely some good things. But in hindsight, looking back, the the training elsewhere was better. The, the opportunities elsewhere were better. And I really should have traveled around and went to other schools and did other things. Because I, I started training when I was 13 or 14. I had my first match when I was 14. Is that allowed? <laughs> Is there any actual regulation in wrestling? And this, I think, is something that continues to come up in conversation, like in twenty twenty two. Yeah. So this it's, this is something that it's it's been attempted in the past, mm. but it's 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 a usual one of those things. Like those who were running it, they kind of looked like it was a bit like, mm, but we, what says that you get to pick and choose who can and can't do this and stuff like that? It's one of those things. It's weird because there's no governing bodies, there's no you know association and stuff like that. Anybody can run a show, and 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 I when we do mean anybody, I find it terrifying that if if today yeah. I decided, you know what, Tom Campbell Wrestling Alliance, I could by the end of the you, day you, I could have a company set up, I could have a ring, I could have a, I could have a sports hall, and I could book some wrestlers. But the difference is, I'm fairly certain that if you did it, you would book people who know what they're doing. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, so you I would mean, be alright. I hope so. But the fact that I could do it and like I've got no real Whoa. credential. Totally on that table. He's so <laughs> angry. He's broke the table. I told you. Uh, is this <laughs> you, of a certain... you're, not, you're not having the legs off this, pal. <laughs> is this of a certain strength? <laughs> <laughs> Can't have the legs. Um, um, yeah, but uh, the fact that anybody uh, don't fold anywhere. The rubbish, <laughs> rubbish legs don't even fold. Like, uh, but the fact that anyone can do it is. Terrifying. Yeah. So And we've seen awful in some cases stuff. anybody absolutely doing awful it. stuff. So it's it's one of those things that it, my personal opinion on it is both a blessing and a curse that anybody can do it. Because some people who have come out of nowhere have done phenomenally good stuff. And some people who have come out of nowhere have been a massive detriment mm. to the local area and have literally ruined certain venues and places and ruined things for other people. There's two people. There's there's two in mind in the northeast, which I won't say because it's. But but here's the thing, that they haven't all been bad. Even no. that even that company that 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 recently did something really stupid. Before that, they'd build a little community. They built up their their thing. They tried loads online. Yeah, there was loads of stuff that was hit and miss and whatever, but they weren't really harming anybody and they had their own thing, they had their own little crowd and they, they were building their community and they, they were selling their venue out, Yeah, which is fine, which is cool and they can run and do their own thing and that's fine. But when they do something so stupid that it kind of kind of threatens everybody, yeah. this was the kind of thing that a lot of people went, oh, come on, hang on, you can't do this. Mm. Like, if you've been on Twitter recently, you probably know what I'm talking about, but I don't want to give it any more no. airtime. But then, but then to, to go back to what you said there about people that come out of nowhere and do great things, yeah. you know, let's let's give some love to Andrew Bowers. Yeah, he was, he was one of the main wrestling. ones I'm thinking. So um, there's been a couple of companies locally where they've been run by random people. So MEW's run by, by Dan Fitch. Dan Fitch, yeah. He's never been a wrestler. He's never been whatever. He was a fan. Started years and years, like 10, 15 years ago he started. And he runs a very successful, good, family-friendly show. Then you've got Andrew Bowers, who runs North, which is possibly one of the, the, like, the hottest local companies. And he literally came out of nowhere. He yeah. came out of nowhere, just thought about it, asked the right people, got in the right ears, took the right feedback. And he's absolutely storming it with one of the best companies in the country. Easily probably top 
top five or six, I would say, yeah. in the country. And it's it's kind of a sleeper company because a lot of people don't realise just how big North has become. It's it's really exciting because because you and I have been part of it in different capacities for uh, a few years now. You, I think yeah. you, I'm sure you're you from Day Dot. I, I day minus about sixty for me. Day minus <laughs> sixty. You were yeah. you you were on the ground you were on the ground floor of it all, and yeah, you've seen yeah, how yeah. that's even like even post pandemic where kind of a lot of places didn't come back. Yeah. Like it came back oh, it came with back style. Stronger and it came back, you know, needing a new venue because that had went you know, that mm. went horribly wrong. It came back, you know, with 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 all of the not nothing particularly bad come up about them in like the speaking out kind of um movement. But it was difficult for everybody because the yeah. whole scene had taken a big hit in terms of sorry, in terms of people's confidence in in local wrestling because a lot of it again a couple of the few had freaking ruined it for everybody. And this mm-hmm. this is something I tried to point out whilst all that was happening was literally everybody was saying, oh, all of British wrestling's full of flipping fiddlers and stuff like that. I was like, it 100% isn't. 99% mm. of people in wrestling are phenomenally cool. And let's be honest, 90% of us are just big nerds. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, mo- like some of the best people, nicest people I've met off through wrestling, like people like Tom and stuff like that. Like, oh. Literally one of the nicest people you ever meet. Oh, stuff it. And yeah. No. Oh, stuff it, you. And yeah, like half half of my friends now are, are people I've met through wrestling. Um, like one of the one of the things uh, that has been really cool is genuinely the people I've had met through me starting my own wrestling school and even the trainees that come in, I couldn't have asked for a better group. They're, they're class, they're brilliant. One uh, of your group uh, is our very own Fraser Porter. Yes, he is. How's he getting on? He's actually doing quite well. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> it's annoying. I don't want to be too nice. It's annoying. So he's, he's, he comes in and he goes, oh, "I did this last." That was like, "Oh." He, he listens. He picks things up quickly, and he's not scared to get involved. So he's doing really well. He's definitely. He's. I don't like to grade them or like uh, list them, but he would. If if I was, he would be definitely one of the best, best ones of my trainees. Mm. Fraser yeah. Porter for Universal Champion coming soon. Mm, vicious rumor. You meet great people doing wrestling. I tell you who I'd like to meet. I'd like to meet Kohash McQuaid. Kohash McQuaid. He's technically dead. I had a funeral. <laughs> He's got a T-shirt still. Um, this was your name. Uh, now, obviously, you uh, yeah. you mentioned earlier about the the Coash boys. Yeah. So Where's this was Coash come from. So, <sighs> right. Come on, Coash. In the weeds. Let's go. So, um, uh, this came from a really mad thing. I don't know why, but so it was. If you go back in the day of wrestling, it's always me and my friend Bry. So mm. me, me and Bry. <laughs> I don't know what we were doing, but we used to stick on the radio whilst we were like playing games or whatever. Alan Robson's Night Owls. Oh. Absolute local legend of radio. The Flashing Blade. That one. He's so, only just come off air, you know. I know. After he's 47 he, years? He's, didn't he jump around a couple of stations towards the, like, the, the twilight years? And then, well, no, so he's always been on Metro. Always. Forever on Metro Radio. And then what happened was Metro changed its name. So Metro, he went to Metro 2, which is like sort of the oldie station. Yeah. Then that got rebranded Greatest Hits, but it's still the same oh, right. station. Sorry. That'll be that'll be my confusion. That, that'll be why that came from. But no, he's a, he's a, so from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., it was at the Northeast phone-in show, and it was just it's yeah. a piece of radio history. Yeah, so it was on the night owls, and somebody had rang in with um, a recipe, and this recipe had wild yam in it and black cohosh. <laughs> right. 
And he went, he went, oh, it sounds like the wrestling is. Here we are, Black Kohash versus the world, yum! And we were like, Kohash's name, we're having that. <laughs> no way! And that's literally where it came from. It's from Night Owls, that's amazing! It's from Alan Robson's Night Owls. That's incredible. So it was Black Kohash, or I think it was Kohosh, but we heard Kohash, so we just ran with it. Um, and yeah, my finisher was a corkscrew moonsault, which was called the Hash Dragon. And it was like, uh, put a little hash in that dragon. <laughs> because we were naughty children. And naughty we thought that was children. really cool. Doing the cheeky drugs. Doing it, well, we didn't really do them. We just thought it would be cool to reference them. them. We, were, we weren't cool enough to find that stuff. So where's McQuaid from? So, this is from a very brief period of my life. So, uh, Coach of the Coach Boys, and then um, I, for a very brief period, did a PGCE in teaching. Okay. This is during my I hate engineering, I'm sick of my life, jumping between jobs right? kind of thing. So I did a PGCE, not even a year, because the only thing I learned in that PGCE is that I really hate kids. Um, <laughs> I don't actually hate kids. I just hate trying to discipline kids. Like, one of my favorite things about my job is I get to be horrible to children on a regular <laughs> basis. And it's expected and encouraged. <laughs> It's brilliant. Um, so, but there was a... <laughs> trying to teach... Click that off. <laughs> so it's, it's part of my job to piss children off. It's brilliant. Right. Um, so I had, uh, I, had this, I had this kid, and he was called Barney McQuaid. <laughs> and I thought that's one of the coolest names I've ever heard. So I stole, the Mc, I stole McQuaid off him. Um, ah. And... Because uh, I dropped me, Brian stopped wrestling. He, he, he was doing music and he was doing pretty well with it. Um, and I was still wrestling. It was like kind of my thing. And I was a solo wrestler and I was like, oh, I kind of need to change up the name. So I, I became Koash McQuaid for a while. And then I dropped the Koash and I became Tyler McQuaid. And it was like Tyler McQuaid, the rock and roll renegade. I had like a long furry coat. I had like leather pants. And I was like, it was like a throwback of like poison and like flipping Motley Crue kind of style stuff. Because I had long, I had Hair. Um, like almost on my arse long hair, um, which nature took from me. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> did you know that if you don't mind me asking, like, did you when did you know that nature's taken my hair from me? Uh, it's usually every morning when I looked at the pillow. Oh no, <laughs> it was just what it, it was kind of mid 20s, it happened to me, and it was just one of the things it was fitting out. And what kind of um solidified it for me was I'd been in a match somewhere and my hair looked okay. But the second there's bright lights above you, just all pretense is gone. Oh, no. Any illusion is gone. And like there was pictures and footage from this match. I was like, I can't use any of that. I just have to call. It. I just have to, you know, bite the bullet here. So I bit the bullet. Did it grew it kind of back shorter? Mm. I, it, the the the, sh the shorter length helped a lot. May have tried to use certain products to increase hair growth in men. That does not freaking work. Oh, but anyway. <laughs> Um, did all that caffeine shampoos, all that kind of stuff. And it was all right. And then I just went, you know what, sod it, buzzed it. And then got used to it in about a week and went, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, because I can't imagine you not, you know, without the, with 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 hair now. Like, yeah, I've always, always most, ever most, known you with it. Well, the, most of my known wrestling career has been with, with the buzz mm. cut. So, uh, yeah, most people know me as that. And I'm, I, yeah, I think I'll probably look better with it. Looking back at pictures, I look terrible. There's, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people that um, it's like I'm reaching a point now where there's people I went to school with, 
And I can see there's pictures. There's one lad in particular who I see, and he's at that point now where he's got like the sort of the eagle head on his head. So yeah. he's got hair around here. And there's just part of me that just goes, just shave it. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm like with us, like we're all right, I think, because our dad's got quite a long hair. Yeah. But, um, I always kind of feel like, like I'd be like you, where I go, if I could feel this is taking longer to wash my face in the morning, yeah. I'm just going to go, whoa, that's, get it uh, away. I mean, that's a Harry Hill joke. <laughs> yeah, it is a Harry Hill joke. Yeah, somebody's finally spotted it's a Harry Hill joke that I yeah. stole. He says, oh, how did you notice? Uh, I noticed I was going bald because it took me longer and longer to wash my face in the morning. <laughs> Harry Hill joke. It's a great Harry Hill joke I as well. Harry Hill, he's class. Oh, bro, um, somebody's finally putting that out. Yeah, it's, it's, I've got a, I've got a thing for badgers as well. I love a good badger, and it's from the Badger Parade. <laughs> Make haste for the parade is in but half an hour. And the one time the parade actually happened, <laughs> it happened once, once in that about two hundred episodes. It's such a good, it was such a good show. Oh, Harry, uh, TV Burt was great. That was what the Harry and uh, not Harry Enfield, Harry Enfield and Trumps was a different thing. That was yeah. Really. Was it just the Harry Hill show? It, I think it was just called the Harry Hill show. And then oh, you he like, used to do something daft, like it was, oh, higher than a loin steak. Oh, no, it's a chicken breast. <laughs> or something like that, which was like, play your cards right, but we'll cut some Marlon meat. Brando. <laughs> Suzanne Dando. That's how we remember. Yeah. You always got to have a system. Um, and the, uh, the Channel 4 controller. Yes. Who would try and make them mainstream, and they were yes. like nothing. You had Burke Quok on there from Tenko, yep. uh, which is a very random. Which I didn't appreciate the true comedy significance of until I was older yep. and real and had watched Tenko. Tenko, I was like, oh, I get now why this is wonderfully I, funny. I reckon there was enough jokes in there that only about eight people would get but there was enough of them that you'd eventually get everybody with at least one. Yeah, <laughs> it was scattergun jokes, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's just ridiculously stupid, but just fun. And I can't, I can't remember that much of the show now, but mm. it, was, it was brilliant. I remember there was flipping rubber chickens and mold and daft stuff and lots of <laughs> random things. It was brilliant. There was a book they released, and, it was at the, and, it, and, and I had it for years. I have lost it since. It's like a Harry Hill annual, and all it's right. all the jokes and stuff from the book. I've, I've got a Harry Hill joke book. Have you? Which is just full of, like, just crap jokes. Which is, but they're perfect. I, there was one bit in there, which might have been in the joke book as well, where he said, um, he, he said, ring your local pizza place and ask them, do you have pizza balls? And they say, what's that? You say, oh, they're little balls of dough with cheese and tomato inside. When they say they don't have it, you hang up, you ring the next pizza place and ask the same thing. Then do it again. Congratulations, you've just invented a meal. Yes. <laughs> if you ask enough times, they'll put it on the menu. Everybody will go, oh, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> It's the wrestling shyster trick. It's great. Um, when did Koash McQuay? When did Koash McQuay become HD Drake? Um, uh, I am not entirely sure. Yeah, because I was. I just, the the I, great thing is on Cage Match, there's a great bit of bullshit where for a while, because normally, right, Cage Match is pretty on the money with stuff. Pretty on the money. Not perfect all the time. It got me in trouble once with Zach Gibson when his weight was listed wrong on there. <laughs> and he was angry about that for me. I've, I've got a serious qualm with a certain company about that. But we'll that <laughs> yeah, really? Oh, talk qualm. about it. Get in. Um, we'll talk about it afterwards. Yes. We, no, we will talk about it on this, but we'll cover yes. your points. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but you were listed on Cage Match's Brother Drake, which is a completely different wrestler. Yeah, it's, it's some guy in <laughs> Germany who was in a, what I'm guessing was a ministry-style faction where they had like a religious cult leader, and one of them was called Brother Drake. So apparently, I debuted in 2009 in some German company as Brother Drake. Congratulations, mate. That's, yeah, that's I mean, it was, only, it was only 10 years after I actually debuted. But <laughs> uh, but so technically, technically, just to go into this, technically, I'm a... A three-decade wrestler. Well, look at you. You're like Katie Muto. 
<laughs> I, my first wrestling match is in 1999. Like a Jordy KG like. Poor lady. <laughs> I swore that. Oh, did you with a hand sprinkle, bro? Uh, <laughs> when, the, the, when the fort comes in. <laughs> oh, the time crossing will come on. There you go, do that. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, so you don't know when Drake, when H, when Coash became HC Drake? So I, uh, there was a company, CRW, I think this was about 2007. I was still Coash McQuaid and then Tyler McQuaid. Does there. Barney McQuaid know? I don't know. I have no idea where <laughs> Barney, McQu- Barney McQuaid was, I think, a year nine kid when I was doing my PGCE. God knows what he's so excited was. at the thought that maybe Barney McQuaid goes, Oh, I love Desert Island Graps. I listen to this. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, Howard. He used to be a. Yeah, it's just a, a it's Drake. Mr. Drake, who um, <laughs> took you very brief, briefly for engineering materials, like designing technology and stuff. Cheers, Barney. There you go. You were the only kid I actually liked. Well done. <laughs> the rest of your class, pack of. So we don't know when we know when the, we know what the kids are, but we don't know when it was. The, would you say CRW? You yeah, think so it was complete revolutionary of... wrestling, which is when I I'd been en- been engineering for a little while and uh, started to look back into wrestling schools and stuff like that because I wanted to do it on the side. Mm. Um, so I'd had a bit of a gap where I'd, like I'd went to uni and stuff like that, and I'd, I'd dropped off it a bit. And these places are kind of half shut down and stuff, and it disappeared a bit. Um, so there is a, there is a gap in my wrestling, and then I went back and I found this place CRW and start doing bits and bobs with them. And I was definitely, I was Coach McQuaid and then Tyler McQuaid for them. I think Tyler was very brief. I think Tyler may have only lasted a year or so. Mm. Um, and then, oh, I can't remember what happened. I think I just kind of potted on and I decided when I cut my hair to change. Right. Because I, I was like, I can't be a rock and roll renegade with a skinhead. Let's just, and I, I was doing this kind of thing where I thought, oh, I'll go much more serious and brutal with my wrestling. I'll be, because I was a heel most places. I was like, all right, I'll go with my real name because I thought that's how little bullshit I'm going to have. Mm. So I went with that. And I, was like, well, I don't want to say Howard. I'm not going to say what the T is because nobody knows Drake. Yep. There's a running thing where people have tried to guess. I, is it Tim Parney? No. Oh, I tried to Um, I actually have a lot of middle names, but we'll not go into that. Oh, really? This has been revealed before on the North. It has podcast. been revealed on the North podcast. You should go listen you to need find to. out what that answer is. You You'd find it very hard to listen to me because Chop ruined the sound, but <laughs> had one job, Chop. <laughs> one we day. have two jobs you were on as well. I'll let you off. <laughs> he did, did apologise. He'll pay his dues one day. Oh, he's, yeah, he'll never pay them. He's never paid a due in his life. I think Chop should at least one week be ringing out and stuff for North. Bowers is going to be furious for what me I'd, putting this if, in. What if, what if? I would love that. What if, like, somebody like, couldn't come last minute and we had to get yeah, shot? Yeah, what if, eh? What if, Bowers? He's going to hate me for putting that in! Because <laughs> I'm really pushing for it as a thing. I think he'd be great! I think. He'd be brilliant! The problem is... I'm in the eye of the storm now. He'd be brilliant fun. <laughs> No, the problem is People he does the music. He does the music, so you have to go, ah, and then ring. Oh, shit, I'll run back in. <laughs> Get on an iPad or something. And, yeah, you'll, you'll need a... You'll need you a... can do it on Wi-Fi these days. Your kids have got technology. I'm sure you can do a Bluetooth or something. Do I don't it on know. a Bluetooth. It'll be fine. So the, so the name change I came... I think the name change came when, yeah. I, when I buzzed my head, uh, and that would have probably been maybe eight years ago. Right, that make, that kind of is the timing. You mentioned uni there. What did you do at uni? Uh... 
mechanical engineer. Is that mechanical engineer? Is that was that where the dream was still being forged? Well, it was just one of those things. It was again. I wanted to go to uni, um, and I was good at maths, science, physics, and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, well, there's good money in engineering, isn't there? Was it? So it was more a desire to go to uni. Yeah, it was one of those things that I, I, I definitely, I, I knew I wanted to go to uni. Um, I was. Uh, Generally, a bit of a bit of a nerd. I did like well in exams and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I was just like, well, I, I do engineering. It was it was good. I'm, I, I enjoyed uni. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't the most diligent of students. I was drunk for most of uni, but that's fine. We all were. Yeah, I was drunk for most of uni. I think I did wrestling bits on the side as well at uni, <laughs> just staff stuff. And then afterwards, when I got a job and stuff, that is tiring. Getting a job is tiring. <laughs> Which uni was this though? It, well, I'm really boring. I, I I looked at Leeds, I looked at Sheffield, and end up end up staying in Newcastle because <laughs> because of wrestling and loads of stuff with my mates and stuff like that. I'm not a missus. That makes sense. That makes sense. You, I take it, you didn't live on campus. It was just uh, so uh, for the first first kind of half a year, I was with my parents, and that was the most uncool thing I've ever done in my life. Oh. And then I, then I managed to move out, and then from second year, I'd made friends and moved in with a bunch of friends from uni. Right. Because living at home and being at uni is the least cool thing you can ever do. Cool in other people's eyes. like just. Like well, it's, it's really bad where you're like, oh, everybody, we're going to go to the uni bar and have a, have a couple of drinks and then get some food. And it's like, I've got to go home. My, uh, my dinner's on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the money you save there during that oh, time. Oh, yeah. So like, I, wasn't, I wasn't particularly flash with the cash or anything like that. Mm. But yeah, my, my, my parents obviously helped and stuff like that. And I've never... Never wanted for anything, kind of thing. I'm quite lucky in that sense. What have What have your parents made of sort of like the fact that they watched you going on to go, go get into the world of engineering, and and now you're doing what you do now? Like, what's the <laughs> what's the conversations like at the dinner table when you go home? It's it's a strange one. So like I I don't know if to them it still seems like a hobby. <laughs> right? Yeah, I get it. Um, like they're not unsupportive. Like. Things like when I made that first wrestling ring, I they helped me money wise with that and stuff like that. Mm. And they even flipping, I had nowhere to build it, so I ended up building it. I ended up taking up their driveway <laughs> to, to put it together and make the ropes and stuff like that. I ended mm. up taking up their whole driveway. Um, so yeah, they're not unsupportive in any way, shape, or form. They have been to a couple of matches and stuff like that, but it's it's definitely not something that they're into. They they're not one of these parents where they're going to go to every show. They're going to go to no. this and that. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's one of those things where I probably will, when I call it a day on wrestling, I probably will have to do something to do with engineering to to make ends meet. But I'd rather not. Yeah, but we'll see what happens. We'll You've got that in the ba- on the back burner. Always have a plan yeah. B. So like, it's it's one of those, well, I don't know how far out. It'd be a thing to change that much, but I don't know. Yeah, you we'll be, see. We'll <laughs> see. Um, Let's talk about that company you were going to mention. You said we'll talk oh, about Oh, yes. So this is the getting, what was this, getting the height or weight wrong? Or yeah, like so so I was, so one of my, yes. actually, and, and do you know what? What's nice is that I, my my whole ring announcing thing up here is because of you. Yes. 100% because of you. Because uh, um, you'd approached me about plugging a wrestling show when yeah. I was on Heart at the time. Yes. And I think I might have said to you, do you need a ring announcer? Yeah. Or whether you come to me and said... Do you, I, we I need a ring announcer. Did did, did was I was it sat not on the loo when I got your message. I remember that all, much. Was well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best messages come hey, when you're I on the. I remember being sat on the loo when your message came through. 
I've had times where I've sat and I've been there so long, my legs have went. Oh, I because I've been messaging people back and admin just just happens. I'll get up. I'll get up early in the morning. I'll sit on the loo. I'll start prepping news videos or I'll start looking at something on the phone, and then I'll hear Alex's alarm going off. I go, Oh, she's up early. He said, No, no, I've been here forty-five minutes. That makes sense. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> that's a good time. Um, was not the original gig that I kind of put you forward for or got you, was it not a random one in the NE6 It was suite, a really random which, one in the NE6 suite with, with Tony Storm on it. With Tony Storm on it, yeah. And who else? Primate was on it. And... Um, Tyler, Tyler Bate was on it. Tyler, was Tyler Bate on it? Yeah, it was when, wow. it was, uh, it was when uh, him and Miss Storm were a thing. Of course. Wow. Because I, I wrestled Tyler Bate in that match. In that you, show, sorry. You did. Gosh. Oh, and that's Taliban. Was Pete Dunn there as well, or did I make that up? Uh, did we have Pete? I don't think we had Pete Dunn. Taliban no, was there. Tony Storm was there. It was a bit, so there was like people that you go like, oh wow, they're things now. Oh, that, was, that would have been absolute wrestling. Ah, that's probably what I'm thinking of. There's probably a few other people. Yeah, I think Pete did. Pete had done some. Where we had loads of random people. Like um, we had Flash Morgan Webster and Wild Boar. Yeah, we had Gibson was there a couple of times. Yeah, Gibson turned up. Um, yeah, we did. We didn't. We didn't have. Obviously, Jake Rampage was. Rampage was quite regular. There. Rampage Brown was we had a regular. Valkavius on. Valkavius. He had, was. He was on definitely on the NE6 show. He, he was on a couple of them. Yeah. Mm. We had. We had Wolfgang on one. I had loads of. Loads of. But ones. I remember that one though. Like, so I, you brought me in to do that, and I got. I think it was about ten minutes before the show started. They went, "Oh, the wireless mic's not working. You have to use this one on a wire." Yeah. And I remember thinking. I remember going out to the ring, and I announced the first match like. Talking from the diaphragm, yeah. and then went. Oh, I'm gonna have to use the mic in the back of the room, and uh, and I did for the rest of the show. And I must remember, I, I remember leaving that thinking, okay, well I've done that now. I don't know whether that's that's for me anymore. I don't know what it was. It's sort of about yeah. that, that mood that night. I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I remember. I, I don't remember if you vocalised it then or I found out later that the wired mic had particularly burst your happy it bubble. It had a little bit because. <laughs> I get it. You want to be in the ring. You want to do it properly. Yeah. You want to do whatever. And you've got, you're tethered to the flipping wrong end of the room. <laughs> it was a really short wire. Yeah. It was, it was just one of those things to just say, it, good intentions were there. There was a wireless mic there. Yes. It just did not work. In the grand scheme of things, it was great because it meant that we got to work together for the first time yeah. and then it ended up with us doing stuff for what was absolute wrestling. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think I went to cover the one day when the uh, announcer couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I don't think absolutely was your first one. I, I think, was it not, a different one in the NE6 that Joe Rage ran? I thought that was the one that we're talking about. No, no, because uh, uh, unless you had Tony Storm on that, because we de there was definitely one in the NE6 with Tony Storm and Tyler Bates, because I remember being in the back talking to them. Um, he must have had them on that one then. Yeah, because there's... That's why I probably don't remember Tyler Bates. So I definitely remember Tony Storm. Tony, Tony Storm was doing the rounds then mm. in British wrestling, definitely. Um, but it was definitely the NE6. Tony definitely was NE6 definitely was there. In, yeah. I'm pretty sure Joe Rage ran one or two shows. I'm there. pretty sure Joe Rage was, was there. I think it was a random one where I'd put you forward for it. Mm. I think it must have been that one. I don't one. even think... Uh, I was on that show, and I... You were there. Was, I'd come back, because I remember, I'd come back from... Two shows already that day for All Star. Me and Rampage turned up because those were both early shows. Driven back for about three hours. Got there about eight minutes before doors, and then I was on like second. And I'm pretty sure I was against Assassin. Ah, I think it was maybe that one then. Not the. I remember being absolutely knackered. 
this I just is happened the, to kind of muddle through this match. This is the joy of the schedule that you that you cut at that time. Oh, that uh, that that was one of my busiest years. So I when I when I was doing all the stuff with with All Star and a couple of other things, and I was just getting bookings left, right, and center, and loads of stuff. I because I used to keep I used to keep a spreadsheet with all my matches in. I, that's long out of long <laughs> way out of schedule now. But I, I've still got that spreadsheet, and I'm pretty sure in that year I did about 220 matches, Jeez. and it was ridiculous. That's almost uh, that's almost one a day. Yeah, I would, but, it, but it sounds in some cases battered. like three. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely battered. Um, is the mindset there before we get into like the show and stuff? Is the mindset there? Is it like with with radio? For me, it was a case of well, if you don't do it, somebody else will. Yeah, it was a little bit of that, and it was it was also it was a case of so a lot of those matches were doing um, like the holiday shows and stuff like that for mm. for All Star, and I was very fortunate in that when I was first getting into it and I was learning, uh, I did manage to get those, um, and like uh, a big thanks to kind of like Rampage who, who helped get me on them and, and um, Dean Ormark put my name forward as well. And then obviously I was traveling with with Rampage for them because he moved into our area. Um, uh, but I was quite lucky because the best run was the Welsh run because you got 10 matches a week and the, the drives were a lot shorter. So you'd often do two a day and then you'd had like um, like a town show, which was a real town Real Town Hall, which is quite a quite a legendary little venue. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very absolute fun. bangers have happened in there. I remember seeing Robbie Dynamite versus Dean Ormark in like a lumberjack match. So I was, I was here watching it there, and I was just in awe. It was they absolutely tore the place down, and they fast paced, mental. If it was on video, it might have been one of my flipping design ah. discs. It was that good. Um, but yeah, like that. That so that would happen, and because like the, the way the holidays would run, that would be eight weeks, eighty matches. Mm. You know what I mean? That would. There's the a miles lot. on the car as well. That was so many matches. That that was where I racked up a lot of the numbers. So in mm. eight weeks, that was 80 matches. And then you'd get like the half terms. So you'd have two weeks. Well, that would be another 20 matches. So there you go. One summer holiday and one half term. That's 100 matches. It's just a lot. And I think you hear so, you'll hear so many stories from other wrestlers who are just like, yeah, you just, you just do it. Which you one just of the things. Do it. Uh, so um, I remember my first week, I was tagging with Sammy Donis, who now wrestles mainly in Mexico. Um, uh, and I was tagging with him against these two Italian lads, and that was me kind of like. I heard about this, and like, and they were pretty new to the whole thing as well. So you kind of found yourself in a sort of a, a veteran role. Yeah. So very basically early on. So we had. I was I was maybe a year in by then mm. into full timing. I was maybe a year into full timing then. Sammy Adonis was the like lead in the match, mm. and then these two Italian guys. Um, I'd come in, they were basically given a shot, and they were awful. They were absolutely, they were so bad, they were meant to do three weeks. I think they got sent home on a week and a half. Bloody hell. Um, that was an awkward conversation. Yeah. Sorry, you're a bit crap, can you go home? Yeah, and it was, it was, if it was business, it was business, and they, they, they'd come over, they'd, they'd had a bit of experience, and the base, I don't think they pied them off completely, I think they came back a year or two later, basically saying, listen, go back, train, come back better, and we'll give you another stab, something like that, I don't know. Did um, you know, like, how notorious they were, for lack of a better term, before your match? No, we had had no idea, it was, it was apparent when we were planning it, Right. because keep in mind, this is, you know, this is 
very family friendly. Me and Sammy, like I was pretending to be American with American flag, <laughs> and you know, being just obnoxious as hell to kids. And <laughs> Give us your American accent. Oh god! <laughs> hey, come on, Sammy, get up. <laughs> Stuff like that. It'd just be over the top, nice. real rubbish. Um, and it's like, oh no, brother, come on, man, they, they, they're getting the flags. Come on. <laughs> It was so awful. That. It was awful. But uh, oh God, my, my throat was the worst thing from the whole show. I never heard anything else. And I remember the, the finish of the match was um, they hit something, whatever, and they come in and give them the, give them the, the, uh, the flag to the back. Oh. And that was the finish. And every time we hit the flag to the back, the guy would hit the floor and then get up. And we're just like, oh. what are you doing? What are you talking about? Keep in mind, we were having 10 of these a week. It took about six or seven before we got the idea of the flags are finished. Stay down. Pretend like the flag's made out of concrete. So what? So, so you'd hit him with the flag, and then he'd just go. I think. Sa I think it was. Fine. I think it was Sammy would. Hit, I think they'd hit something on me. The ref was was otherwise engaged, and then Sammy would hit them with the flag. And I remember the first few times they'd do that, and then I'd have to like pop him like freaking DDT him or something like that, and then get the pin. Oh, he kept on popping up. I was like, no, that, that's not heelish enough. We need the kids absolutely raging that we've won with a flag shot. And they just weren't quite... They just didn't get it. Just oh, didn't get it. Oh, my gosh. I think, I think um, yeah, I think they had a, they had a singles match on the, the town show where it was just them two, and it just went to pot. And that was kind of one of the things that went, you guys need yeah, to trick them. Yeah, how about you get yourself get yourselves away and I come back another time? I'm, I'm not going to mention names because they have worked hard and I think they're both considerably better now. Mm. And this was a long time ago. So, yeah, we won't say their names. Volta, no. I'm not going <laughs> to say the names because I can't remember them. Exactly, <laughs> that's it, that's it. That is it. Um, so, you, you, you've been on this run in Wales uh, and then we, to kind of go back to that and, you you know, this is at a point where you're running a couple of shows a day on the weekends and you've you've come back and you're back in the northeast and you're wrestling there on that particular show. Was that a one-off show in the end? It was, wasn't it? The I think Joe you did Ray two. Thing? I think you did two. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember. I'd have to ask Joe. He and and he did, did Absolute kind of get born from that? I think Absolute was running just before that, mm. but only just before. Absolute came about as like a weird thing um, where like I was looking to, to do something. My friend Dan was looking to do something and he knew this guy called Drew and... They were looking to do something. And it was kind of like, well, I don't want to like run, run a show, but I'd be happy to help out and like do whatever. And um, kind of brainstormed. We were just like, listen, there's nothing really like, at the time there was nothing that was like pushing the envelope in, in the area. So so we so we kind of put that together, started pushing it, um, and did, did quite well for a couple of shows. Our, our second show was an absolute banger. We did that at the Linskill Center. Second show was an absolute banger. Um, packed the place out and did really, really well. Then we tried to do, which I was virulently against when I got out and voted, tried to do three shows in three days in three different venues, and that absolutely cost us. I remember oh, this happening. The, the Fight Club tour, where we basically found three big clubs, and we were doing a tour where there'd be fighting each one. It was just like, we were hot off the second show, but it was far too early to attend. And I that. seem to remember during that, so this is like a you know a company trying something very new, like a weekender. Yeah. Um, not not unlike what Progress are doing this coming yeah. weekend with the Super Strong Style Sixteen, running three yeah. shows back to back to back. And that's fine when you've got a when you've got a when big operation. Got a big, yeah, this was my thing. It was like, logistically I was well, to, we're trying to sprint and we're just about walking. And that the third show. So what really damaged us was the third show, the day before the show, somebody had rang in with a big complaint. 
and the um, the venue got scared and cancelled on us. And that was the day before, so we'd obviously we had all the wrestlers, we'd put them all up in a hotel, we'd put them on all this, we'd done all that, we'd spent all the money, and then we were going to have to obviously refund all the tickets. And the worst thing was, that show, because it, it was the Saturday show, which was the biggest selling show, mm got cancelled on us. So worst thing was we couldn't it wasn't like it was the Sunday so that we could just send the wrestlers away. No. We had to keep them entertained in a certain fashion for the Saturday and then use them again on the Sunday. Yes. Um and I think that show ended up costing us nearly three grand in a loss. So we made a bit of money in the first show, made a bit of money in the last show, three grand loss in the middle, and I just blitzed the whole weekend and ruined it. And was that kind of where um, actually would that have been where absolute started wrapping up yes no it was around for quite a while afterwards um but it was just single shows um and then we we're trying to do a youtube thing and stuff like that and what kind of accidentally kind of really damaged us was just as we were starting to get a bit of momentum and starting to get some stuff what culture hit and that was mm. like the world everybody just went mental for that and they were running the same day as us like three times in a row like we and we tried to get in touch with them and sort all that out, and I was working for both, so it was fucking really weird and awkward. Um, yeah, so were you kind of torn between like were you getting grief from from Dan and Drew uh, during that time? Well, Drew, Drew had kind of dropped off the radar. He had his own he had his own issues with other stuff. So it's, mm. and I just didn't have the time to to like it was things like the flyering and the postering. It just takes so long. Mm. Like you need a team for that, um, and I was the only one who drove then. So that made it really difficult, and then other stuff. It was just a lot of logistical and bits and bobs, and it was. It kind of worked out for me. Like I basically kind of did the maths of it. It's like I'm spending hundreds of hours on this show to make a couple hundred quid. Yeah, that's and then uh, that's what you you buy. Yeah, it out, yeah, don't you? yeah. It's just... cool to have your show and to try and build something. We we tried to use loads of trainees in like different roles and stuff like that, and give loads of people opportunities, which is all great. But it was just so much time for very little kickback and often a loss mm. um, that I just I just couldn't like quantify doing it I get it so just basically just called it a day and I was just like I'm happier working for other people's shows kind of thing I remember because I did stuff at Absolute as well yeah I just seemed to keep following you um, I did remember doing Absolute doing the ring announcing for them for a bit and I was there that night when there was a it was the YouTube taping yeah and it was just the, the disorganization. I don't know what it is with me. Maybe just when things are disorganized, I just throw my toys out yes. and go, that's it, I'm, so, like, I, I'm fine. I, I made it very clear that I didn't want to organize it. Like, my job was, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do the running about because I'm the only one who drives. I'll do I'll do a lot of the flyering and postering. I don't want to be involved in the booking because I don't want to be accused of booking myself into title shots or anything like that. Or You've always been funny with that. Yeah, like you, you like and you, because you, you've worked for some like the the biggest, the strongest companies in the northeast, yeah. and and it's so funny to 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 have you here because there's so many wrestlers who synonymously, like you'll get these these top guys who will have an investment in the company and go make me champion, brother. I'll be the champion, brother. And you're like, I want to do anything other than be the champion, despite well, the fact that sometimes the storyline. The, the 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 world the 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 general vibe really calls for you to be the guy and you're always very reluctant not uh, you'll always do it when not, needed not necessarily you're... reluctant but you sure? I, um if if somebody wa if somebody wants to put it on me that's fine i will mm. 100% do it i will never politic for it no i i i i'm not this kind of person who's and it's probably to my detriment i probably should i i don't put ideas forward when i really should i should be pushing ideas and stuff like that um like, I I do a lot of stuff for the show as a whole. 
is is one of the things I kind of think of it like. So even when I was like one of the three people or then two people who were kind of running this show, I purposely wanted nothing to do with the booking because I didn't want to be accused of, you know, book myself against all the imports or book myself to be super strong or make myself super cool and stuff like that. Like I was quite a prominent feature of Absolute, but that was entirely up to, to Dan. Dan was doing the booking. Originally it was Drew and then it was Dan. Uh, but that also meant that I wasn't involved with the backstage stuff and the organization, and it just went to pot. Not that yeah. I would have done a massively better job. I just think Dan ended up, because he had his own job outside of it, I just think he ended up with a lot more on his plate than he could handle. It felt like it was a, yeah, suddenly a bigger task. Was, was the YouTube series, was that in reaction to WCPW? We did it first. You were there first? We did it first, and WCW did it with a much more experience of doing it, far better budget, and more presenters and staff and everything. And yeah, fair play. They they did really well. They they absolutely smashed it in the first couple of couple of months. Mm. And then it was actually they, they kind of a lot of people kind of go, oh, what happened with what culture and stuff like that. Uh, what happened with what culture? YouTube happened. Yeah, demonetized, and that that killed their business model. That's yeah. Well, that's, that's, I want to dig into that a little bit because obviously when you were doing it absolute, but then you were starting to work with WCPW as they were starting. Yeah. What was kind of the temperature then? And obviously things have changed since then. With like all of a sudden you've got the you know the northeast, which has got its own little wrestling bubble, mm. and now this this big YouTube beast has come in and set up shop. It was quite exciting um, for me. I. I I wasn't that bothered. The only thing that kind of got me was just like, whether it happened to clash dates mm. long after we'd advertised the date, they'd advertised short notice, but yeah. because it had a massive following, half the people who would have possibly went to our show would then go to their show. Bigger names, stuff like that. Fair game. 100% fair game. Yeah. But it was just the timing of it. It absolutely just murdered us money-wise. Um, and then we just, it was, again, it was just far too much time for it. But um, it was quite interesting because... A lot of people, like I'll, I'll totally admit, I didn't realize how big what culture was until after I'd been on the first show. And after I'd been on the first show, and then I looked, I'm like, oh, I'll have a look at the match online and stuff. And then I saw that, oh, this what culture beast has a couple of million subscribers. <laughs> I, probably, do... I probably should have, I probably should have researched this before I went in. <laughs> you, also, you... I should have doubled my wages. Oh, anyway. <laughs> you didn't sign a contract, did you? I didn't, I didn't sign shit. Uh... <laughs> I ain't signing nothing. What did uh, what was the wrestlers' reaction to WCPW? Obviously, everyone gets payday, but like you're coming into a place where, like, I mean, with the greatest respects, and you know, I'm one of that part of the machine. Now, YouTube people are like the the attraction. That's a bit weird. It was isn't weird. It? So it it was quite a strange thing. I think so. I think a lot of so a lot of external companies that they had bought stuff off were assuming it was gonna be a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, ooh, we have wrestling, and it was going to be the YouTubers wrestling. Mm. So I don't know if people remember, the original What Culture heavyweight title belt was about this big. It was tiny. <laughs> and the first champion was a man called Big Damo. <laughs> Clues in the name. That looked like a toy on him. <laughs> I so mean, like, there's something the quite nice about it because it makes Big Damo look massive. Yeah, so <laughs> what it was is they'd ordered this title belt, and I think the company had seen who it was or whatever, and I don't know if there was a miscommunication or something or something with the sizes, but I think they thought it was just going to be like a laugh belt for some YouTubers to pass between them and that it wasn't a proper belt. Right. And it wasn't going to be for proper wrestlers. Same with the wrestling ring they'd bought. Oh. 
So the wrestling ring they bought was a training ring, and the company that sent it, I don't know if they do this on everyone, but I remember looking at it going, my God, this is a bag of hammers, this. It'd been sent with chipboard. Chipboard for the base. The beams were dead skinny, and half of them were bent after the first show because you've got a man like Big Demo in there. Mm. So it, it, those who don't know, the ribs are like, we have like the square of the ring. The ribs run across it to the center where there's a spring. And they take a lot of the brunt of when people fall on the ring. And they were bent and they were falling out after the first show. Jeez. And the chipboard, now chipboard is all fine and well if you're, you know, building a wall and then you're going to cover it with, you know, some plasterboard or plaster it up or whatever. But it's not designed to flex, which is what a ring does. So they, I don't think they were expecting big, heavy, hard hits on this thing. So after the first show or two, the only thing the, the boards were good for was mopping up sick because they were just shattered. There's just, just chunks of them everywhere. Oh, so um, one of the kind of, I ended up looking after the walk culture ring because I said, listen, guys, you need to do this, this, and this to make this a lot better. And like one of the first things was they had to buy a whole set of new boards for this ring which is, you know, not cheap. And then so they've got the correct boards and managed to do things with the with the ribs to stop them jumping out and, like, basically taping them in and doing other bits and bobs because they were jumping all over the shop. The spring was like a rock, so we had to do some bits and bobs to try and make that a bit softer. The foam was god-awful on the ring, so I had to change that and just loads of stuff. And this is all before you started supplying rings. Well, no, I already had mine. You already had yours? So I'd already built and, and used mine for a good year or so before that. To the point of when they started asking me, because they didn't, uh, that was the thing, they didn't have somebody who would look after the rings to put it up and down. Mm. So the first show, the person who had built the ring for him came and put it up, and then it was kind of like, oh, I've shown you how to do it, it's now yours, which is fair game, that's how you sell a ring. Um, but they didn't really have like a crew as such. So then after I kind of said, listen, I'll, I'll help you out with the ring, show them a couple of bits and whatever, I said, oh, do you mind looking after it? I'm like, all right, okay. Mm. And then when they were booking me for every show and they're like, oh, can you look after the rings? And so I was like, so I just use my ring. <laughs> yeah. If you sign it, you kind of by proxy becoming the head of the ring, you yeah. might as well just... I just say, well, same price, just use my ring. And, you know, then I know it's good. Because <laughs> I basically used my ring for one show and all the rest of went, oh, yeah, that's a lot better. And then... <laughs> Use from then onwards. When you you obviously you were there as as WCPW grew and it grew super quick. Yeah. And the 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 talent that was coming through was was out of this world. Like yeah, you're running shows at like Ultragum High Street with Jim Ross and Jim Cornette on commentary yeah. as Bret Hart talks in the ring and it's yeah, like it was, there was some mad stuff. Like um, it was just it was just one of those times where it seemed a little bit surreal. Like I remember. I was in an arena in Manchester. I was really tired, sitting at the top of the arena, watching, I think it was uh, Joe Henry versus Kurt Angle, and Steve Linsky's doing a cartwheel in the ring, and I'm going, this is mental. What's going on here? <laughs> like, is this, is this for real? <laughs> and, yeah, that happened. Um, and, yeah, it was just, just mad stuff. It's, like, it's just the people coming through the door was ridiculous. Um, but unfortunately, the, the ridiculous of it meant that it was unsustainable. Once, once you know, this crap is, happened. Yeah, this is, and kind of this leads to like a, a shift for them because uh, obviously they got demonetized, and all of a sudden, the main way that you make money from these big matches, you can't make yeah. anymore. I think um, I can't remember the exact numbers, 
but I think there was somebody had told me there was a comparison or something where they had two videos, one before mon uh, demonetization and one after, with similar views, you know, and there were big views. It was like um, a couple of million views or something like that. It was big views. And the difference was like 20 or 30 grand and then 400 quid. And if you think to lose that kind of money on your advertising and like that was their business plan. And the business, uh, as far as I'm aware, I think it worked when they first started whereby they would put these mega matches on, but because they already had a really big reach, they could they could guarantee, you know, some of these mega matches would get them good money back. You know, like most of their videos didn't get anywhere near those kind of views, but when they got mm. a big one, it was really big. When did you know that that, that had happened and there was possibly a shift? Well, there was just there was just talk about it. They were just like, right, we're going to have to figure out different ways. And they, I, I, I can't remember if they tried like um, an on-demand type service or a page. There was there or, was one for Defiant. For yeah, Definite, so... Which what, was what culture, which is what, what culture yeah, so became. Basically, what culture was, was owned by, by the, the two brothers who... Um, owned what culture as a whole and then one of them pete still wanted to run the wrestling he says oh, i'll change it and whatever and it, it changed to define because it was then no longer directly associated with what culture um it still very much was but that unfortunately meant it had to kind of start again with its social media and its youtube channel and all that kind of stuff so it lost a lot of its mm. following I think it because a lot. Of, I think there was some advertising on what culture or something for it, so it did get a good chunk back. But it was ran um, with a much lower budget. Um, in some ways, it was ran a lot better because it was it was a bit more organised. It was a bit more a bit more frugal, a bit cleverer in what it was doing, and it it because of that because I had less like imports coming in to be to be the thing that have to make more of the local talent. So mm. they used them a bit more. They got a bit more prominent things. Some people absolutely flourished in it, and I think it helped a lot of people. Um, but ultimately, it was just one of the things. It was just it was still running a bit too big or a bit too often, and not just not making enough money. Um, and I think what I don't know, no, but I think what kind of killed it in the end was Peter, who was running it. Um, I as first kid in the way. And this was a big time sink. He still was obviously, you know, half owned what culture and was working there. And then he had a kid come along and this was losing money. And he was just like, I can't do all of this. You know, it was again, it was probably the same thing. I'm putting a lot of effort in here to lose money. It's not worth it. I've got a, I've got a family on the way. And he's probably going to mean, you know, he had a kid, I think, was born a month or two after the last show. And I think it was just one of those things that, like, right, I need to concentrate on family life here. And I think that's what killed it. I don't know, but that's mm. my theory. Because there's a few people that say, like, the arrival of NXT, uh, potentially NXT UK. And, but it, which is ironic when you think about, like, how, like, there was a, a there was a strangeness about what culture pro wrestling coming in for smaller indies yeah. and then for, for NXT UK to come in and what culture to have similar concerns yeah. that they had years before. I, I, I don't know... If that was the main thing, I do know that uh, the Defiant shows, although drawing reasonably well, I think they were just the like the production values were still very high. A lot of stuff was very high. The costs were still very high, and it just wasn't making money. Mm. I think that's. I think that was a long show. But when did you guys know that like that was coming to an so end? So we we kind of all figured it because usually they'd book up quite far ahead, and there was no bookings after that last one. 
And it's like, oh, we're looking at things, oh, we're thinking about stuff. And we're like, yeah, you're thinking of shutting down, that's what you're doing. Mm. And then that happened, and then it was kind of like, unofficially said in the day, yeah, it's probably our last one. And then it, it just turned out to be the last one. How did that impact you personally? Because that would be a regular income suddenly gone. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was... It was uh, it was disappointing and stuff, and obviously you lose when it, it's it's sad when any company goes down, especially like because there was a lot of people I'd met through defining what culture I like was quite matey with and stuff like that, and like it was like oh this was a regular really cool job where I get to travel a lot and wrestled some really quite interesting people through it. Um, that wasn't happening, and literally I just got a push, my first push. Yeah, that was it because like, when Defiant came along, you were getting some mileage. Yeah, and it, so Defiant came along and started to get some mileage stuff like that, started to get get used, and then finally, first time, turned face, won the hardcore belt, your eternal hardcore champion, by the way. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that was it. And it just went by. Yep, and I remember that match like it didn't go great that match. Uh, and I wish it went a lot better. But it was one of those things like, I'd done a ring and set up. It was it was in uh, Northumbria University, so it was up a load of flight of stairs with all of this stuff, and it was an absolute arsehole, that ring job. Absolute arsehole. And I was knackered, and I was like, oh, right. Show started a bit. Right, hardcore matches, that's whatever. And I was like, oh, the hardcore matches first. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not in the zone yet. You're still packing from sorting the I'm ring packed. out. I was absolutely knackered. I, 90% of my matches in what culture defined or anything, I am absolutely goosed. That's <laughs> why I lost all the time. That's what I'm saying. That's why I had a very poor win-loss record. I was pre-knackered. Hey, they were going in fresh. I was already like 40 minutes into an Ironman match. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, when, that, when that went then, uh, were there con- was there considerations for you to come away from full-time wrestling? Was there other things that you wanted to do or uh, no? Not in the slightest. You just uh, the pivot sec- and go The second again. I jumped ship from... From engineering, I was I wasn't going back. That was it. Yeah. So what what filled in the um, the gap there? Um, I, I still had I still had plenty of shows on the side, and there was other things creeping about and stuff. There's always things bubbling away somewhere. Mm. Um, and I think I, I don't know. It's just it wasn't even because by this point, then you were you were big into the, into uh, the the ring hiring stuff and, yeah, and all of the stuff that came with that. Yeah. So I I'd, uh, I'd also got a very good reputation for the rings, so I was building rings now for other people. Um, mm. And every so often, like, I get a couple of them a year, and that would be you know a couple of grand bonus here and there that that helped me get through. Um, but yeah, it's just it was just one of those things that like, didn't cross my mind to consider other stuff. Just you end up going through something similar with five star wrestling as well. Yeah, I don't want to go. I don't know how much we can go into that. Five, five star was was interesting. We, we spoke a few times in the car. Um, I, I somehow think that you and I are on our way back from a show, maybe in Leeds. And and you we talked all about it because five star. I think it was just after they'd done the show in Newcastle. Yeah, and, uh, and so I was chewing you and I was chewing your chewing your ear off about that. Then we just didn't have microphones on. Yeah. So um, again, I kind of came in to five star because of a crap ring. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just follow so, the trail of the bolts that fall off the shit ring. You, if there's a shit ring, I'm somewhere near it. <laughs> um, so That's not five a slogan you should use on the ring hire thing, by no, the way. No, no. So I, I have a side career in repairing other people's rings. Um, so I'd be... How did that come about, first of all? That? Yeah, like, like how did you make it into like a... Is it, was it like a proper like side hustle or was it just... It was, one of those, it, was just, it was just reputation. Yeah. Like, um, because I'd, I'd done stuff to the, to the rings built by this company and massively improved them at loads of wrestling schools and stuff like that mm. because of 
they basically like went, oh, we've got this ring. Um, we know yours is really, really good. Is there something you can do to help us with ours? Because our ropes are rubbish or our bumps are terrible or the phone's all over the shop. And I was just like, oh, well, I'll come in and have a look. And it, it just became, well, I've got very used to um, this other company's design. And there's just a couple of issues with it that are quite easy to fix. Right. So I'd come in, I'd do some easy, quite cheap fixes. Didn't cost them a lot of money kind of thing. And it would massively improve the ring. And then I'd get a reputation for doing that. And then I'd get asked around other places. And then Five Star were basically having a big, big problems with their ring. Like the boards weren't fitting. Loads of stuff were, were all over the shop. The ropes were pulling through and all that kind of jazz. And I, uh, I got invited in. Uh, I spent like, a, they had a, I think they had a dead day before the Newcastle show. So I'd went to where they stored the ring. Mm-hmm. Done a load of crap to it. Made it considerably better. And then I said, right, we'll set it up properly at the show and we'll see if we can improve it. When it's set up, I'll set it up better. Did that. They needed somebody, they needed some people to wrestle on the show. And um, one of the guys said, oh, he's good. And then I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, oh, pick your opponent. And all right, um, I got Jamie Screwface in because he was local. I was like, well, I know him really well. I know he can flip and shift. And then we wrestled a pre-show match on that. The guys who watched it liked it and went, right, the ring worked a lot better on this show, on the Newcastle show. Can you travel with us to every show, set up the ring and wrestle? And I was like, yes, yes I can. (laughs) And here is my fee. (laughs) The five-star fee was quite good. (laughs) (laughs) And it was every week, mid-week, didn't affect any of my other bookings, and they had about 400 shows planned. That's a, that's a dream. And that, that was that was fine with me. Like, literally, um, so the five-star money, because the days were incredibly long, because mm-hmm. it was a full, long-ass setup. Like, the days would often push into 20-hour days, 20-hour hour days. But the the money was good. Yeah, the page properly, the money to wrestle was good. The money for the setup was good. Like, per hour, it probably didn't work out that great. But again, it was one of those things of, like, I'm away for the day. It's a day. That's mm. what it is. Um but I did the maths on it, and if I got no other bookings and just did that one five-star one a week, I could pay my bills and still have money spare. Wow. Off that one booking a week. So all of my other bookings were then bonus bookings where that money was like, you know, savings money or let's go and do something nice money. Or, or fun whatever. money, yeah. yeah fun money um, because of the five-star thing. And then obviously five-star ran for a couple more shows, and then the island show hit where there was a flipping blizzard and next to nobody could make it to the arena. Oh, God, yeah. And where we were worried we were going to get stranded with flights. So you, so where were you when that was happening? Were you over I was, there? I was, I, was, I was in there setting up a goddamn ring. <laughs> you were in there going... <laughs> in a blizzard. Can't I get mean, anybody we were here. indoors, but getting to the show was a blizzard. It was Jeez. bad. Uh, we were worried about flights, getting home and stuff. That was all up in the air. Like, I think, luckily, there was a gap in the weather and I managed to escape on my flight, but a couple of other people um, got stranded there for a day or two. So when you landed, and presumably everything was okay. Ooh, weather's we, not great. Yeah, so, we, so we landed, uh, I think we landed the day before. We'd, we travelled the day before, the night before. And then on the day of the show, it was bad. Mm. It was like we were a wa- Luckily, we were only a short walk away from the arena where our hotel was. Because it was one of those things of if it was a taxi driver or something, there's not much guarantee you're going to get one because it was just blizzardly everywhere. So we'd managed to get there. The trucks with all the kit got there the day before, so that wasn't a problem. 
and we're like, well, we've got the TV schedule, we have to do the show, let's do it. They ended up getting in a couple of people from a local school because a lot of people couldn't make the travel. And they, the, sh the show obviously was just a, a mixed bag, it was all over the shop, but it, it worked and they did, they did a show, there was next to no crowd could actually make it. I don't know how many they actually sold or whatever. It was just a weird, weird, Gosh. weird thing. What a story, though. To come oh, it's, cool was, so was that kind of when was was Five Star running on sort of that like that finer tightrope that that show that Blizzard show in Ireland was just what made it go? Uh, I, I don't Oof. know. I, I'm fairly certain they lost a lot of money on a lot of shows. Mm. It. Could you hear of companies that do those bad shows like like Absolute did, where they ran the the three day, which was three grand down, but they yeah. still managed to carry yeah, on I, somehow. Well. well uh, Five Star did have a good money backer. Yes. Um, and I think he, I think this was kind of one of those things where he was like, yeah, this is a good time to call it because there's only so much money you can lose. Even if you have got a lot of money, you don't want to be flushing it down the drain right. kind of thing. Um, but I remember, uh, I remember picking up Ray Mysterio at his, at his hotel, just to drop a name in there. Nice. Um, and even he was talking like, Oh, this is this this place is really badly organised. You know, they got they got my flight yesterday, and it was like twenty four grand. What? Because it was like a last minute first class flight from wherever he was to here, and he's like, "That's ridiculous." You know, I've I've known about this booking for weeks. So that same flight, you know, a couple of weeks ago was two grand. Jeez. And it's just like how badly so organised are, are they? So had they forgot. To book Ray Mysterio's flight. I don't know, but he said it happens every time. The flights always booked dead late, and they're always massively more expensive than they were meant to be. Because I, it was kind of the, the bubbling undercurrent that it was it was a cool show and it could be great, but it was just so poorly organised. Yeah, I feel like a lot uh, of places hit that. Yeah, issue, but it's don't one of those they? Like, if you're going to lose money, you, okay, you try to lose as even if you're like, okay, we're going to lose money, but we want to produce this this TV thing and get a following, and then build a name and then make money when we've got a bit more of a following. Yeah. That could have worked. But to lose an additional 22 grand on a flight, like I'm, I'm guessing he was talking dollars. So still, that would be like 18,000 pounds just to throw away because you were disorganized. To, to a venue. One, that's one wrestler. And this is the Ireland, this is the Ireland show. Uh, that wasn't the Ireland show. That was... I'm gonna say Sheffield. Maybe. I think he did Chef. I think Ray did Sheffield and Newcastle. I seem to remember. Yeah, it would have been Sheffield then. It's I remember that. I remember the Newcastle show being aired live. I remember watching it live. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that always stays with me is because I was excited for it. Like, hey, it's at the arena. It's yeah. a big arena. It's amazing. And they have the opening shot, and it's a hard cam shot that's all pulled all the way back, and and. All you see is empty seats, yeah. and I drew breath. I was like, "Oh no!" Because you, because again, you want you want them to do you well. You want them to do well. You want to do well, and then it's, and it's like, "Oh god!" I, I do think they were they were handcuffed into into a certain deal where they had to run arenas or something. I don't know the full details. No, I mean, so it's very hearsay, um, which is very <laughs> objection hearsay. <laughs> Let's do something that's going around doing the rounds at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that trial's over. But anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, uh, you think there was something there that maybe made them have to do those yeah, venues because the, the 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 show that did the best and had the best atmosphere and just came across so much better was Portsmouth. Yeah, 
Portsmouth. heard the Portsmouth one was was because it was a slightly smaller venue. So the Portsmouth one, um, the venue probably had a capacity of about three thousand, and they got about two and a half in, mm. so it looked good. Yeah, and the atmosphere was there. The crowd were up for it. They had a real simple story with um, with like one of the local guys who was like a, a good wrestler, like overcoming an adversary and stuff like that. And he had a big flipping pop, and people were behind him. Just simple stuff. And it just made the live show so much better. The having a crowd that was actually full and into it made all the recordings look better. Mm. And it just had a much better feel to it. So I think if they'd had been able to run venues that were like 2,000, something like that, where like, okay, if you get 1,800 in, still looks good. If you get 1,500 in, still looks good. Because that's the thing, at the arena, they probably still had 12, 1,500 people in, but it's a 16,000 seat or something or whatever it is. And then you've got the floor. So it was probably pushing 20,000 people you could fit in, fit in there. So one and a half thousand looks terrible. It's funny how sort of like history will always repeat itself with some of these things because um, this is going out just before the Jubilee. It's going out on the first day of our four-day bank holiday. Mm-hmm. On the Saturday, uh, there'd been announced a show for the Motor Point Arena in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Did you read about this? He has I... a smile that says that he knew about this. Not only do I know about it, I am doing work for it. Are you? Well, no. it's not on. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. I was worried that I got. You know, it's you know, it's been. Cancelled. I'm aware. I'm aware. It has been. So if you can't, if you can't talk about it, then then let's not worry about it's it. It's been rescheduled, uh, but it's up in the air. Basically, the guys ringing around, seeing who can do what dates. Amazing. So it's yeah. So we heard it's coming back, and it's nice that people still try it and try push. You know, to still bring these big shows in, and it's hoping I'm also, to learn. I'm also going to put out there. I'm aware of this match as of about. 25 minutes before coming here, I was notified of this. Oh, so you know the match you've got? No, no, no. I was notified of, oh, of it being of rescheduled. The, right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That, yeah, it's 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 do and it's a shame. I don't know whether there was whether it was considered that it's the jubilee, so maybe people wouldn't as I, keen I, to go. I, I, I think it's just one of those things of like it was just announced far too close to the date. Yeah, it felt like it was a bit of like oh, two weeks time, this massive wrestling show. Like woo, I mean we're intrigued, but you know. Give us, give us time to be intrigued. Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all build like, it. It's bank holiday, we're all busy. <laughs> like they also, they also kind of just went like, here's a shotgun, bang, here's all your matches. Yeah, drip feed. That's <sighs> it. There's Braun Strowman, Alistair Overeem, the main event, and there's all the others. Yeah. Hey, do you know it's one of those where like if you had one of those roster on our show, well, that's the thing. It's, that would be yeah. It's plenty. obviously the run, the running an arena, so the you've got the, a big the, the want to get enough to get enough people in. But like my my theory on like imports or um, you know XWE guys and things like that is, if people are going to buy a ticket for an XWE guy, they'll probably buy a ticket for one XWE XWE guy or X kind of legend type person. You don't need seven. It's a lot. And like, you it's can. A lot. You, it's same. It's same with like. It's same with you know if you're going to go for like a bit of an indie darling or something like that. You know, you don't you don't need seven really, you know, hot people on the indies. Get two or three, they'll get you that crowd and then give a bunch of other people a chance. Yeah. Because they'll probably be a lot cheaper. You And you can you can still get your good matches because a lot of people, the, the thing is, the, the standard of people who aren't working all the time is phenomenal. The actual standard of, of wrestlers we have at the moment, like the 
the well of talent is very deep. There's something to There's be a said. Lot of great people for the whole thing with NXT UK came along. People got quite angry because yeah. it pulled a lot of the indie guys away. But then what it did was it meant that it that sort of Division yeah. Three became Division Two. Yeah, it's just it's kind, like, it's kind of like clearing a shelf, and then there's just these loads of other people that just hadn't had an opportunity or were still cutting their teeth or doing whatever. The, like, the depth of talent in the UK is ridiculous. It's incredible. And um, I was talking to, and this is this is a, a weird one, it was actually Wade Barrett. Nice. I was talking to Wade Barrett, and we were on a show, and he was, he was, he was, it, was a, it was a rock culture one, and it was in Manchester, and he was there. And I just remember talking to him and stuff like that, and we were watching the matches, and he said, oh, it's so different today, you know, even just to get on a show, you need to be an eight or a nine. <laughs> and he said, back back when I was starting out, you know, if you were a four or five, you were on every show. <laughs> now, just to get on a show, you need to be an eight or a nine. And, you know, there's so many people at that kind of level. It's ridiculous. I was just like, yeah, it is. It's it's- really, the standard's insane. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's pivot away from wrestling for a little bit. Because mm-hmm. while us taking three wrestling matches onto a desert island, I like to spring this on people. Um, you said you heard the Adam Pacitti one, so you can't. You might know what's coming here. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. You're allowed to take with you a movie, an album, and a luxury item. So by luxury item, it can be something with sentimental value. It could be maybe a bit of tech. It could be a gadget of some sort to keep you amused. But we'll get to that at the very end. What would you like your movie to be? If you could take any movie, Howard, what would it be? Well, I've already seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah, we've already seen the best. So I've already seen that. Slim pickings from here. Oh, a film. That is a weird one for me. I'm not a big film buff. I do enjoy film buffet, maybe. Yeah, a film buffet. <laughs> I have a buffet of films. A buffet <laughs> a fine selection. Buffet the Vampire Slayer. Um, film wise, oh, I would probably bring it back to my childhood again. Nice. And do the original. Transformers movie. <gasps> the 84 one. Yes. Featuring... With, with Hot Rod, where they kill off half of the good Autobots because they're looking to get more toys on the shelves and they just traumatise kids Is that by why murdering Optimus. God, within the first half an hour, yeah. Megatron and Optimus, spoiler, are dead. Sorry. Oh, you've had 30 years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's 50, fine. 50 years. 90, well, 30, I remember, 10, I remember saying something like, 
So if this film was like even old when I was a, a kid, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure on the box art it says something along the lines of the year is 1985. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I'm like, you want now? The futuristic year of 1985. I'm sure this is 94 already. Oh, no, that's sad. Um, yeah, and yeah, the the whole thing with and I really felt for him. Um, the guy who was kind of meant to replace Optimus Prime in that. Hot Rod. No, no, Hot Rod wasn't meant to be the replacement. It oh, was, the it was Ultra guy. Magnus. Yeah, it's Ultra Magnus. Because everyone, he's the leader, Defo the leader, and then they tried to open the Matrix. And he's it like, doesn't work. Fucking working. And yeah, it was... he, j- he just didn't have the touch. He didn't have the power. <laughs> Thank you, Stan Bush. Thank you. Um, he, but he was... Criminal that they haven't used him in any of the recent films. We're not going to that. I am furious that they didn't. Like, I was waiting for just a little remix of Dare. It's just... Have it, have it, have it where like you know there's a big thing, a big fight or something, and just have the music in the background, just a wink, just yeah. a nudge, nudge, wink, wink of, you know, this is this is a little throwback, just a little something, just to they did they did it in the they did it in the new Doctor Strange movie, they did a little cartoon throwback for people, and it just oh set my doll on fire. I don't want to say I, it in case spoilers. There is also one of the greatest cameos in there, which has a reference uh, to the Evil Dead. Tam- oh, in in in, in Transformers, Doctor, no, the new Doctor Strange. Tell me after, because in case the case people haven't seen it. Yes. It's 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 weird these days. People get very cross. Um but yeah, but Transformers the movie is is, is amazing. What's your favourite scene in it? Because the one I think of is the bit where they're playing Dare and they're in that that pit full of robotic piranhas. Yep. After they've been uh, they are found guilty and they're executed. That is yeah. And it's cup and it's hot no, rod. No, they're, they're, out. they're found innocent. 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 But they, but they, still, they still go for it because they, they, that's the whole point of it's corrupt as hell. Ah, that was the guy. That was, that was it. That was there's it. depth to this film, Tom. There's there is, depth. There's hidden depths to it. Uh, my favourite scene, um, I do actually, one of the early scenes is where uh, the Decepticons are attacked in the, um, the Autobots base. And it's where uh, eventually at the end Optimus eats it. That's where they kill off Optimus yeah. Prime yeah. at the hands of uh, Decepticons. Class soundtrack whilst they're doing it. Things are kicking off. It's just a good scene. It's so good. Um, Unicron voiced by Orson Welles. I believe so. That's yeah. amazing. What a great casting. It was, it was ridiculous film. Big well, monstrous head. And they burst out his eye at the end. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's a ridiculously, it's cheesy as hell, um, but it's just a class film. It's a great film. Uh, what about an album? An album uh, would be Turbo Wolf. Exactly. Go on. Tell me more. Tell so there's me this more. little band called Turbo Wolf, uh, who me and my my friend Will discovered. Um, we were uh, looking at bands that were on a di- download, and we we're picking random bands. And um, one of the bands I picked was Turbo Wolf, and then we'd look at a couple of their like songs on YouTube or something like that. Just basically before we were like a couple of weeks before we were going to download, we're like, right, we'll check all all of these like you know filler bands, basically yeah. you know filling out the stages. And we'll, Checked out the Turbo Wolf, and it's just phenomenal. It's a ridiculous band. It's one of <laughs> probably my favorite band now. Um, so yeah, it'd be their their first album. What did you just pick them at random? Went to go see them, and you were just like, you, so picked them at random, and then ended up basically hunting out everything they've ever done. Um, and uh, yeah, so their, their their first like proper album, uh, which I think is yeah, it's just called Turbo Wolf, is phenomenal. What would be a song from their debut album? <laughs> The song, the first song I ever heard of theirs, which is still my favourite off the album, is called "Let's Die." Nice, <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of electronic, mildly psychedelic, half metal, 
with a mad guy who I legit saw live jump off the top of the stage work onto the crowd whilst probably high off his face. Jesus. And he's just he just looks like a weird offshoot child of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> is it the, band, the band is mental. Uh, but really, really good. Um, and I've, they've done some... Their, their recent stuff's less mental, but still very good. Okay. So they're, they're just a random uh, A luxury item? Luxury item. Oh, I find I'm not sure I could get by without cheese. Mm. Cheese would be very difficult to get by without. I mean, you could take a cheese board with you. I could take a cheese board. Would I be allowed crackers? Yeah, I think we can stretch some crackers in there as well. What's that also gives me a very crap survival knife. So yeah, that's a good <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take a full cheese board, please. Full cheese board. That's my favorite. That's my favorite luxury item on Desert Island Grabs, outside of uh, a body pillow and toilet paper. They were. They're, they're, oh, that's a light. Nick Nick Aldis wants to wanted to take his jag. His jag to drive around. That's what. That's the thing in it. That's the thing, isn't it? I was going to say the few won't last long, but that cheese will be gone in twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what's Howard's cheese of choice? My cheese of choice, right? It was regular every day. Tonight, it's just like charming, like a little quiet night in. If, if, Italian. If, most of my cheese ends up being melted on something, so it's it's just a straight up red Leicester. Nice red no, Leicester. No to bother. Melt on. No bother. No. But then I also like my soft cheeses and cream cheeses and stuff like that. I'm what? not a big smelly cheese person. No, you wouldn't get like a, a sticky bishop or a strong blue cheese no, or anything like that. No, not not that year. Good, good, good bit of uh, you know gouda something. What would you What would you melt your cheese on? What would you melt on? So, controversially, oh go on. Now, some people think I'm an absolute vagabond for this, but a cheesy crumpet. Why? That seems perfectly logical. Perfect. I've had, Who thinks I've, you're a vagabond oh, for wanting a cheesy crumpet? I have a group of friends called the Adventure Pals, which is purposely the most sad name we can think of. <laughs> Um, and they seem to find it disgusting that I would melt cheese on a perfectly good crumpet. Well, what do they have on their crumpet? Butter. Which is fine. Which is just have like butter a, on your crumpets. It's like a, I put butter and then cheese on it. I did, I think that makes perfect sense. It's lovely. How, I mean, we'll talk, since we're talking about doing uh, evil things with cheese, have you ever tried cheese uh, on toast with jam? That sounds monstrous, but it might be good. It works. I might oh, try that. it works. We found a place during lockdown... Alex and I, which delivered cheese boards. It that's, was the, that's a it niche was business. Very niche. It was a it was a it was a pub in town called the WC, and they started doing home delivery. And one of the things they home delivered was a cheese board and like a bottle of wine. And I was like, let's have a really like bougie evening in. That's a just, very that's a very middle aged middle class. It's a very middle class thing, in it. But you know, you had to you had to do stuff to keep yourself sane during lockdown, oh, didn't you? And it was just like a, a bougie night during lockdown. How was your lockdown, by the way? Awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. I had an awful lockdown. Why was it all? Well, obviously, it was, we know because of the, the world catching fire. Um, yeah, so uh, in some ways it wasn't, um, but I, I had a bad, bad time during the lockdown. Like, for some, because I'm so used to traveling and doing stuff and being around people and whatever. I don't know. All, like, all of wrestling got shut down. Um, and just, it just, I was at my wit's end. And um, I kind of. Lost a hell of a lot of money during lockdown. A hell of a lot of money, um, which I'd saved up, planning on getting a house, and then that got absolutely murdered. So that was getting to me. And then, just like lots of things, um, right, not being able to see friends, not being able to see anybody for wrestling, not being able to do much, not being able to actually do my job in any way, shape, or form. 
uh, I tried to do bits and bobs like I and that's kind of where the school came from eventually. I ended mm. up building that whilst whilst in lockdown. Um, but yeah, like there's 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 a couple of things like um, I broke up with somebody and then got with somebody else and then that went horribly wrong and that that kind of got me as well. Um, and then other stuff. I did end up managing to practically escape all of lockdown 2.0 because I'd end up traveling to Mexico. Uh, when I was in Mexico, my flights got messed about. So I was then basically allowed to book whatever flight I wanted home at any time. And the UK was in full lockdown. Mexico did not care. Wow. You could do whatever you want there. And because there was next to no tourists there, I was getting hotels like four-star hotels for about $9 a night. No way. So it's ridiculously cheap. So I just kind of thought, you know what? Sod this. It's so cheap to stay here. I'll just stay here instead of going back to miserable UK where I can't do anything. So you just stayed in... How long were you in Mexico for? Uh, about eight weeks. No. Nice. I was meant to be there too. Fucking <laughs> hell. So, uh, so I missed most of lockdown 2.0 because uh, I'd travelled... And then literally, like, two days later, things had all been locked down again. Uh, and then ended up staying over there. Um, and, yeah, I ended up going there twice during lockdown. Just, just to escape. Just because they knew, just because you knew that when you were there, like, there was so little else. Yeah, so that was, like, the first time I went, I'd made a couple of friends and stuff like that with local people and stuff like that. And um, stuff like that. And it was just a really, it's a ridiculous atmosphere. It's one of those things that, like going there and having that kind of lifestyle and I kind of like that it was a bit of a juxtaposition like thing about Mexico like so this this is something which I'm going to sum up Mexico in one little thing I've seen that is both brilliant ridiculous but it just kind of encompasses what they do so I saw a pickup truck I know on the back of a pickup truck you have the tail that comes down like the back of the like the back door effectively on the back of the, the, yes. the open bit at the back now that had obviously been wrecked and they had replaced it with a very large fridge door. <laughs> and it just, oh, Mexico. But it, it was weird because he went and pulled the handle. So they obviously rigged something up on the inside to the existing hooks. And he pulled the door handle on the fridge. And it opened and worked normally. <laughs> and it, I was just like... That's genius. You as an engineer over there, that would have drawn your eyes immediately. I just saw that as a... The guy's got no money, probably. He's probably struggling. And he's made that door work with an old fridge door that he's probably got for free, rigged it up himself. But he was like, he was happy as Larry. He was like just flipping, going around, delivering fruit and veg <laughs> and stuff like that at the back of this pickup truck. I was like, fair play, lad, fair play. I think, I think it's a weird allegory like for all of us in those... In, in that weird eighteen months that we yeah. had, like you know, with like yourself, not like as you as you said, like your you know your business stopping, going through breakups during that time, like that's a lot mentally on you. I weirdly think that the the ticket thing with the flights, it's a weird bit of the universe going. All right, I think he's had enough. Yeah, so that was I, that was very in some ways that was an escape um, because like I was I was bad like I was. You very rarely talk about like you. I put a, I put one post up about this because it was kind of like because I I'm one of the last people that people expect to kind of like go down that black hole of depression and horribleness and stuff. And this was like it's happened to me twice in my life where I've had like these kind of like months of being horrendous. Like I was a I was a shell of a person. I could barely function. It was rubbish. 
Um, and I did make a right arsehole of myself with certain people. Um, and When did you realise that that was happening? Oh, I knew it was happening. It's just it, that, That's the thing with that kind of thing. Mm. You know about it. You just can't do anything. Yeah. It's not. It's one of those things like literally it's a time thing. Um, and that's why, you know, when people do talk about depression or stuff like that and things like that, like, I get it. Like, it's horrible. And the worst thing is, is you know your shit. You know there's nothing you can do about it. Because um, a lot of people say, oh, just do something you like. It's like, you, you literally, you could you could take me, like in that depth of horrible black holeness, you could take me to a theme park. 99% of the time, I'd love that. I'd just be miserable. It, that's the big, that's it's, a it's big sign of depression, that is, isn't it? Though? When, yeah, like, when the stuff that you love, you don't love anymore. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's like you can't allow yourself to enjoy stuff. It's it's a weird thing, and it's, it'll be different for everybody and stuff like that. But yeah, it was just one of those things, and it was just mumps and mumps. And then being away did help because it was kind of like reset me from, I didn't have to think about my life at home, and there was lots of other crap going on and bits and bobs like that. Um, and yeah, it was, just, it was just one of those things. It was just an escape. It was a very different world. The fact that it was 30-odd degrees every day kind of helped. Mm. Um, so what did you do during the day? What did you do during the day? Yeah, when you're in Mexico, staying in a $9 a, a night four-star hotel, did you? Well, if, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of them, a lot of them, even for that money, um, were all-inclusive. Wow. So I just ate, drank, went to, went to gyms, um, sat around a pool, sunned myself, uh, hung out with some some locals that I'd uh, made friends with and stuff like that. Chased senoritas. <laughs> <laughs> just did just did stupid, just did stupid stuff. And then I, I went out a lot of nights and stuff like that. And again, was, I'd, I'd made a couple of friends here and there and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just real kind of what you would do if you had infinite money kind of yeah. thing. Of just like I didn't have to do anything remotely worky. Okay. Closest thing I did to worky was. A lot of these places had gyms included, so I'd go to the gym and stuff. You go, yeah, just just to, just so you could quantify, you know, eating, drinking, chasing senoritas, going to a bit of gym work in the morning. So it's morning. That's not morning. Wasn't absolute. Going to a drink in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I'd go to the gym about <laughs> three o'clock. <laughs> go to the gym. Go to the gym at five o'clock in the evening. Yeah, I was I was there with with, with um, Roxy for a little bit of it because uh, like me and Roxy are still really good friends and stuff like that. Yeah, because uh, she needed to be the original reason when we actually went there was like she needed to be in America, um, but she wasn't allowed to go directly to America. So she was right. like, "I have to go to Mexico for two weeks to then go to America. Do you want to come?" And I was like, "Yes, a thousand times yes." And then that was why I was meant to be there for two weeks. Mm. But then my flights got messed about back to the UK, and I was like, "Have a good time. I've made some friends here. Let's stay." Fair enough. So, so did Roxy stay as well? Or no, no, did she, Roxy her, carry on? she she went to the states. Right, fair enough. So you guys were together at that point. Was that no. not a bit? Was I mean, it sounds like it wasn't. So it's a bit of a moot point. No, so was like, it not strange? Not in the slightest. Amazing. Was, um, we were just we were just one of those things. Like there was there's zero bad blood. There's nothing nothing bad. It was just one of those things. That, like we have just been together for quite a while, and it just got to the point. It was like we're really just mates, aren't we? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Well, that's pretty much it. I was like, okay. Like neither neither of us were unhappy, but neither of us like we weren't exactly star-crossed lovers or anything like that towards the end. So it was fine. Yeah. So it's, so you n- you never lost a friend in all of this. And that's no, no. Like um, like she's in the states at the minute. Uh, if she comes back to the UK, I'll almost one hundred percent see her, hang out, do whatever, and um, catch up and all that kind of jazz. So yeah. Nice. Will you go back to Mexico again? Oh yeah, definitely. It'll be good. Yeah. It's class. I feel like it's kind of become your happy place. In some ways, yeah. Um, it's one of those places, it's un- it was unsustainable what I was doing. 
Yeah, it was only good only... in the in the real world. Now. Yeah, it was only sustainable because it was so cheap. Yeah, um, and the timing of it, like normally, it wouldn't be anywhere near that uh, cheap. But it is one of those things of like if I was to retire and move somewhere, I would look at somewhere of that ilk because mm. I quite like the lifestyle. It's a lot more relaxed. Yeah, it's. I think that's the one thing that people say. It is a lot more. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind like going somewhere that is like a Caribbean style place mm. or something like that, or something definitely somewhere that's a bit probably a bit warmer a bit more relaxed a bit more you know by the sea let's have fish and whatever that kind of thing you know let's use what's around us a bit more but you came back and um you you put together something that you planned during lockdown which is northern grafter yeah so i kind of uh the unit i was using to build wrestling rings in i originally kind of made a gym in there with a with a with a ring and stuff kind of to one keep myself sane two so i could actually work out and stuff um and then I got an offer for the unit next door because they were moving out. And my dad was looking to get somewhere as well. So we kind of shared uh, the cost and stuff like that and ended up getting the unit next door, which was a lot less rubbish in it, basically. <laughs> and then set that up as the wrestling school and then some other bits of business in there as well and stuff like that. And yeah, that just worked from there. Because I remember the, the building that you're in now, I think I came along to when it was it was sort of... Was it NGW kind of school? Because Rampage Brown was running it with you as well. I don't think it was officially yeah, Northern so Grafter. It wasn't. It wasn't in the slightest then. So what that was, um, there was there was a couple of times where there was issues with um, the venue that Rampage was running the NGW school out of. I th oh yeah, I think it was basically whenever Rampage couldn't do it, he was the only one that they had access. That had access. Right. So it was me and Jamie were helping him out at the school. So whenever that happened, we just run it out of my unit, and I would just basically clear the decks. I had some matting down and stuff like that, and would put up my wrestling ring and just run a run a session out of there. So there was still a session on. So that would happen a few times, and it was kind of like, well, actually, this isn't a bad place to do it, and the size is all right. The unit next door, when that came available, that's a similar size, but without it having any of the engineering equipment required to build rings in. Mm meant that there was a lot more space and it was a lot cleaner because it was a, a, like my unit that I do the wrestling rings out of is uh, I got it because it was a shithole. <laughs> so you pay, yeah, so they gave you it because actually we're not going to do anything with it because it's a it's Well, a it's, it's a case of I, I'd been down to get the unit for probably half a year and it had been delayed by half a year. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, listen, I'm, Unless you sort something out, I'm gonna have to go elsewhere. And so they said, "Oh, we'll give you this, that, the other." And then I actually end up getting it for free for a while and stuff like that and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things that, like, when I moved in, it was like, "This is a shit hole." And you just had to tidy it up, build it up, and make literally. It. I I've filled in holes in the floor, concreted stuff, covered the ceiling entirely, painted all the walls, chased the pigeons out legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> like there was nests in there and everything. <laughs> Did you not offer them training? <laughs> Did you teach at least one pigeon a oh, hammerlock? No, because they, they would literally drop a turd in the ring, so I had to, had to, <laughs> had to chase them out. Um, and then they kept on getting back in. And then I looked around like, guys, you haven't even sealed the walls up. There's a big <laughs> hole there. But, so like stuff like that. It's, it took a long time to get that place even remotely presentable. What is one thing that you're training at Northern Grafter that you wish somebody would have told you earlier? Uh, that I've learned since opening it. Yeah, or so, yeah, something that you're teaching students that are coming in that you wish somebody had taught you when you were starting out. Uh, so when I was starting out, they never once covered theory. 
mm. of how to put a match together, of how to tell a story, of how to do whatever. It was very much a let's do moves to each other and things like that, which, uh, as anybody who's done enough in wrestling will tell you that the moves don't matter. How and when you do them matters. The actual move doesn't matter that much. Yeah, have a cool move, get that gif, wrestling mm-hmm. for the gifts, that's fine. But if it doesn't work in the grander story of it, there's no point. That's something which I was never taught until I kind of learned that on the job more than being taught it. Um, so, yeah, so like when I came in and started started wrestling about, I could probably do a hell of a lot, but I had no idea when to do it or how to do stories or whatever. So I was, to be honest, I was god awful. But I could do a lot. It was just I needed order and sense to what I was doing. And and there was nobody there that was teaching you how to yeah, so put that, that in place. The when Rampage opened his school, it made a huge difference to me. And then I pretty much uh, learnt on the road, and that's where I learnt how to put things together and stuff like that and whatnot. Right. We're going to uh, give one more shout for Northern Grafter in a moment. Let's do your third and final match, though. My third and final match. So uh, we had RVD Jerry Lynn, Living Dangerously 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had TLC from WrestleMania X7. What would you like your last one to be, Howard? My last match is the single greatest piece of uh, storytelling in, oh. in wrestling. Okay. It is uh, Jeff Jarrett versus China in the Good Housekeeping <laughs> match. <laughs> No lie, no lie. That is the second time today in this building I've mentioned the good house that we've mentioned the good housekeeping match. We did a news video just before you came in well. where we referenced it. What did we reference it for? It was in reference to the MJF thing. Mm. And how like it's almost like like there was there's conversations that MJF has paid a little bit of money just to come and get him over the line to get him done because there's issues with him and Tony Khan. And we compared it to the good housekeeping match. <laughs> so the second time today. I've got to know why this one, though, for you. Well, for, for, I just I don't like Jeff Jarrett, you know. <laughs> so you want to see him in a good housekeeping match? It, it's just utterly ridiculous. The whole the whole premise, the setup, everything. I was talking to, to uh, Pachiti before, and like he was like, oh, I don't know this one. I was looking it up, and then I was explaining like the backstory behind it and everything. So like you've got Jeff Jarrett, who's basically saying all oh, women are shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like beating up like the fabulous Mueller and things like that. And he's... He's going around, he's battering half of the women's division at the time. He's saying, like, oh, women should be kept in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. He is just being a total bastard. <laughs> and I, I, as a kid and stuff, I never liked Jeff Jarrett. That probably just means he was good at being a heel, yeah. let's be honest. Um, and the whole match is ridiculous. The setup for it is ridiculous. The finish is ridiculous. Everything is just, everybody thinks I hate gimmicks. I don't. I want to do what what they don't get is when I did like all the killer gimmicks thing, the whole point is you put me in with somebody with an extremely strong gimmick and then we do something with that. Mm. So I could have lots of different gimmick matches. The irony being that the gimmick killer is a gimmick. Is in yes. The last as you said, the last one to kill is yourself kind of thing. That <laughs> but um yeah, so with the good housekeeping match, the whole setup's ridiculous. Um China ends up getting the opportunity at uh, Jeff Jarrett's Intercontinental title at the time. And when she... So, for anybody who hasn't watched it, don't listen to the next probably 30 seconds. But the finish is Jeff Jarrett ends up twatting... Sorry, hitting. (laughs) You can swear, it's fine. (laughs) Jeff Jarrett ends up up hitting uh, China with the belt and pins her. 
mm. and it looks like it's over. But then the ref calls out and goes, no, 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 that wasn't a household object. <laughs> it's like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yes, every other weapon in the world has been used, but because that wasn't a household object, this is a good housekeeping match. And top marks to Jerry Lawler on commentary with the defense going, well, it's an item in Jeff Jarrett's house. <laughs> yeah, like, so that. Fair point, well made. Yeah. I was just like, when little things like earlier, Jeff Jarrett, like double clotheslines, uh, I think it's May Young and Fabulous Moolah, and like Jim Ross, like, oh, that's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. And Lawler's just laughing his arse off. <laughs> and it's just, the whole thing's brilliant. Um, and yeah, so the finishes, that happens. And it's like, oh, no, um, she's lost. But she hasn't because the, the result's being turned over because that wasn't a household item. Jeff Jarrett is kicking off, goes to put the ref in the figure four, and China gets him with a guitar. And it's like, well, that's a household item, obviously. A lot of households <laughs> have that, have a guitar. And then she pins him, and then she becomes the first ever female in the Continental Champion. That was it. So there yeah, was a bit of girl power in there, all that kind of stuff. But it was just utterly ridiculous from start to finish. There's stuff with a cake that gets dumped on, the uh, like a cake mix that gets dumped on um, the like cans. Yeah, and stuff. It just It's fully ridiculous from start to finish and just represents everything that's fun about wrestling. What I love is that we've just this second talked about like things you wish you had been taught and one of them was theory and the story behind the moves. And then you hit us with no, a, a match that is all story. It's all story. It's all stupid. Like the setup for it, they they before the match they show like you show like a highlight reel of the setup for it, and that's so important because it mm. just gets across of just how much of a total bastard <laughs> Jeff Jarrett's being, and he's just hammering it up. The whole thing's ridiculous. The whole thing's way over the top, but it just works. And it's just it's it's a stupid match. A lot of people it's a throwaway match, but if you stick that on a show anywhere with that backstory and that setup. Everybody's gonna have a laugh watching that. That's why wrestling is at its absolute best when it's inherently bollocks. Oh yeah, it's, I really like, believe that. Wrestling's a comedy, hundred percent. Wrestling is a comedy, and it is. And it's here to it's here to entertain. Yes. As as uh, hopefully we have today, you have more importantly. Yes. This is like I always said. I never got into wrestling to entertain anybody, and I'll be damned if I ever do. <laughs> Spoiler: You have a little bit today. Yeah. Uh, where can let's talk about Northern Grafter? Where can people go? What's the what's the crack? Plug away, so, sir. The crack is uh, I run a wrestling school in Newcastle upon Tyne, the very northeast of England, very north. Um, hence Northern Grafter because <laughs> I work, which is Grafton. So um, yeah, we we run training for beginners and advanced. If you want to have a look, our socials are at Grafter Northern because Northern Grafter was taken. Okay. So, yeah, both socials, Twitter and Instagram are your best bets. If you're interested, we literally take people from no experience and we also have advanced for those who are kind of getting on shows and stuff like that. We've got a good group for both and we're looking to do it. Usually, now it changes a little bit depending if I'm about, but 90% of the time it is beginners on a Wednesday evening and advanced on a Thursday evening. Nice. And, and what about yourself? If people want to rent a ring, if people want maybe, maybe some belts made... I, well, I very rarely make belts um, <laughs> because I don't really have the equipment. But if you want something extra stupid, I can make a stupid belt. You may, you may have made something extra stupid for I us. I did make a very it. large stupid belt recently. But yeah, there you go. A little bit of exclusive. The the large Cultaholic Championship belts. Uh, okay, yes, right there. I did make. That one right there. Yes. But you do rings, definitely. I do rings. That's, that's, that's the main thing. I'll do rings, skirts, canvases, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. 
And if you want one, if you want one that actually works. There you oh, go. Man. Reach out. Uh, and for me, uh, just at Drake Wrestler. One final question. This is the one we'd like to end on. Let's go back. Let's go back. Your parents have gone away for the weekend. It's a young Howard Drake, uh, one half of uh, the Cohosh Boys. And you're currently attempting uh, Cannonball Z. You are far back into the hallway. The mattresses are there. You have the chance to come into the room and tell yourself one bit of advice. The Howard that is today to go back in time and tell that Howard there up on the up on the cabinet one bit of advice that will hold them in good stead going forward. What would you like that advice to be? The sensible one is um, to try different wrestling schools because I did waste a couple of good first couple of years of my wrestling. Um, and the, the stupid one is don't do that front flip in the music hall in year in first year of sixth form. <laughs> what would happen? I wouldn't have shattered my shoulder. <laughs> it's all right now though. No, no. <laughs> it's surgery later. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh yeah. Don't do that. If you do end up doing that and going through a table, keep the legs. Uh, yes, always keep the legs. AC Drake, it has been an honour and a privilege. Thanks for coming on Cold Holic Island. Big power handshake there. How are, your hands are cold. Is it that cold? Is it that cold in here? I've got cold now, but it's all right. Okay, that's fine. I'm a chilled man. <laughs> You're a chilled boy. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.